to Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What, the podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And today we are watching John Wick. An ex-hitman comes out of retirement to track down the gangsters that killed his dog and took everything from him. All right, so this this is a more recent film, for sure. Uh, we've been meaning to see this one for a long time, especially with all the sequels that have been coming out. Um, one of our favorite podcasts, Cool Breeze Over the Mountain, this is their favorite franchise. They have only fabulous things to say about John Wick. We love that podcast. Uh, we did a crossover event with them during the holidays with Babes in Toyland to cover Keanu Reeves. Which was <laughs> such an adventure. It was such an adventure. and We had such a fabulous time. Andrew, one of their hosts, also came on and talked Bond with us. Fabulous people. Love that podcast. So we have to talk about John Wick. Like We, we have to take their recommendation to heart. Especially when we talk about action movies, mm -hmm. because holy shit, is this action distilled to its purest form. Oh, sure. So when we were coming up with, okay, what's the list of action films we want to do for the summer? Like, well, duh, we're doing John Wick. Like, essentially, we decided to do an action series so we'd have an excuse to watch John Wick. But were we ready for how pure of an action movie this was? Because I, I had um... the anticipation, but I didn't know i thought we were gonna have a little bit more of the fast and furious hobbs and shaw kind of movie on our hands a little bit yeah and it's not it's not but i i loved that about this film like i really loved that like you get to the movie and you instantly know what the problem is you're in the movie for five minutes and like oh well, this sucks and then five more minutes and like oh Oh, shit. <laughs> and then five minutes after that, well, all hell's breaking loose. And so like 15 minutes in the movie, you know who all the bad guys are. You know what the the driving factor is for this dude. And it's just like, well, damn. The one thing is they they don't spend a lot of time explaining what's going on. No. They waste no time in this movie. No. At all. Yeah. Which is perfect mm -hmm. when you are just building a world. Well, and the thing is, I didn't need it because a lot of times with this type of movie, they spend a lot of time telling you about like, oh, this is the type of hitman he was or why he left the business or what he was doing or what he's been doing since. Here it's he had a wife. She got sick. She died. And that's really and like and he used to be a hitman. That's all we know. And then from what we see, it turns out he wasn't just a hitman. He was the most badass hitman on the face of the planet. Yeah. And so I just like that, you know, we never explain the coins. Like, because so when we first see the coin thing, I'm thinking, oh, it's this thing. But then it turns out to be that thing. And that's fine. It doesn't matter. Then we have the whole hotel thing, which I like the hotel is supposed to be like a neutral zone, which I adore. The whole doctor, like, you know, somebody who can do some dry cleaning. Not that much dry cleaning. They give you enough yeah. to keep you invested yeah. and engaged without slamming you over the head because they've done two sequels. I have to imagine that as we go along, some of that might get explored. I hope I hope they explain a little bit more, but I also like that like we're not wasting any time. I, you don't care what the entire relationship history of him and the guy who's staying next door to him is. You just need to know, oh, they've worked together. They're friendly. That's it. Or, oh, that chick? 
They've had some history before. Now she wants to murder him. The Like, that's all you need to know. That's how action movies worked in the late 80s and early 90s. Oh, it's just, it's so fun. And then this all comes down because they murdered his dog. <laughs> so, okay. I did not know that they murdered his dog in the first movie. Of course they did. I didn't know that. Like, I thought that, I genuinely thought they were going to be a reason why his wife got killed. No. So, like, so that's what I was expecting because I had, I I knew nothing. I literally knew nothing. So then when we see this dog, I'm like, oh, so he gets this dog and then they kill him in the second movie. That makes total sense to me. I'm like, they killed the dog. And not only did they kill the dog, they killed the, the perf- most perfectly the cast adult adorable dog they made that dog perfect because that dog is precious and makes him that much hotter because keanu reeves is hot (laughs) but like this softens him and makes him that much hotter and then they murder the dog and you're like well this justifies everything that happens well and not to mention and and this is what struck me very early in the movie is the emotional stakes like yeah you I've, totally get it. You well, totally understand what's going on. That scene when he reads the letter from his wife uh-huh. is incredible acting. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. Like, that's high prestige oh. drama level acting uh-huh. that he's doing in what could very easily be a shitty action movie. Mm-hmm. And that's what lends it so much weight. You know, we say it comes down to the dog. It comes down to Keanu. Oh, he sells everything. And he's perfect because he is a badass. Yeah. And he's fun. To, he loves playing a badass, but he is a badass who wears the emotional scars on his sleeve in front of everyone. He is a badass who has the ability to be emotional. So he can go completely robotic and then on a dime switch and have that emotional weight behind that face. That is very unusual for an action star. Totally. And he is a true blue action star. This is something that we never have had in a bond until we got to Daniel Craig. Now, Daniel Craig, completely different vibe. I would actually say Keanu is a thousand times better at this, at that switch. Daniel Craig has that ability and none of the other bonds did. Well, and this is because Keanu could have been a strong dramatic lead in another world and universe in which different roles came his way. Because he's shown us he can do that. He can. And also, I I think if he pursued that more. Yeah. I think think there's also that aspect of he enjoys motorcycles and martial arts. And so he enjoys doing the action films more. And there also comes a point where it's just like, I'm only going to be able to do this for a certain amount of time. I'm going to do this. Yeah. Which is totally fair. And what's great is that of all of the quote unquote action stars that Mm -hmm. have come out, Keanu has the sort of chops Mm -hmm. to be able to fuck with that genre constantly well also and different gentlemen who play in the action world like i would say a bruce willis who isn't like super action but the john played as an actor can completely make fun of that persona and you believe it and you enjoy it and keanu can do that without without any problem Keanu can do that but i you know we talked we talked about this with point break Mm -hmm. what's more interesting is that he brings a level of subtlety Mm -hmm. and nuance yes that you don't always get from these movies true and it it elevates the material so much more Mm -hmm. because you're feeling the emotions of it at the same time as you're watching the, the action well he's committed yeah he's committed 
And I love that. And if you haven't realized, we fucking love Keanu Reeves. We don't love it as much as Cool Breeze Over the Mountain. So if you love Keanu Reeves as much as we do, go listen to Cool Breeze Over the Mountain. Yeah. You will not be disappointed. <laughs> All right. The budget for this movie was $20 million. Wow, that is so small. It is very small. It opened to $14 million in its opening weekend, grossed $43 million in the US, and worldwide grossed $86 million. That's a very tiny movie, like very tiny budget, and that that's a good return. Yeah. I, <laughs> this is a little engine that could, yeah. in some ways, despite the fact that it is not the typical indie film. Mm-hmm. That's because of who made this movie. Okay. So for writing, we have Derek Kolstad. His earlier credits before this were a couple of Dolph Lundgren's straight-to-video films, One in the Chamber and The Package. Mm -hmm. That's it. Wow. After this, he has written both John Wick Chapter 2 and John Wick Chapter 3, colon, Parabellum. He is on staff for The Falcon and The Winter Soldier. Okay. And he is currently writing John Wick Chapter 4, which was just announced. All right. Okay, great. What do we think of the writing? You know, it's very spare. It's bare bones. It's very bare bones, but that's okay. In an action film, you want action. You want action and you want some quippiness. And they use their language very well. I didn't, I feel like when we were quippy, we were appropriately quippy. I didn't feel like it was always trite or cliche. And that script was written, that had that action written very well. Yeah, and in, in reading the trivia, too, as we talk about it, there's some sly references that mm -hmm. they make in this movie that are deep cuts okay. a lot of times, but serve the purpose of the story mm. perfectly. This movie is a little bit of a pastiche, okay, but not in a Quentin Tarantino kind of way, okay. where it's like, I just hacked apart five kung fu movies mm -hmm. and put them together into Kill Bill. Sure. No, it's, I had this idea, then I borrowed some of the parts of stories that I thought worked well with that idea mm -hmm. and came up with this script. Well, and I think the most important thing, especially in an action film and a revenge story, it all makes sense. Every bit of it. This story has a plot, has a beginning, middle, end. I fully understand what is driving our character the entire way through. And our villain, I also understand. Like, I don't always understand all the other crap. That's fine. I don't need to. They're just a part of the bad guy organization, but we don't spend time on it. I understand our main guy, our bad guy. That's all I need to know. And it's done very well. And this movie is not crazy long either. Also, good job. <laughs> well, and it, and it drives forward. Like, that's yes. the other side of it is that all of those plot elements keep moving. Yeah, like we had to take a break. It's like, ah, I got to pee. And we're like, we're already 45 minutes into this movie. What yeah. is this? We only have an hour left. Sweet. Kolstad wrote the first draft of the script in just over a month. He initially had written it with the idea of an actor in their 60s to play the role. Okay. In order to buy the idea of his reputation preceding him. Okay. Yeah, that, all right. I can buy that. And the producers decided we want somebody a little more bankable, so that's how they wound up going with Reeves, someone who was incredibly seasoned in action mm -hmm. films. Sure but was younger enough that they could still bank something on them. And because I looked it up while we were watching this film, Keanu was about to turn 50 when this came out. <laughs> Fucker. It's nuts. He's hot as hell. God, he looks amazing. Hot as hell. When Colstad wrote the script, he had no living actors in mind. He was only using older non-living actors as inspiration, like Paul Newman. 
Oh, I love that. I think that's really wise. By the way, Newman in like the 80s in a movie or the 70s in mm. a grindhouse movie like this. That would have been cool. Holy shit, that would have been cool. I don't cool. know how believable he would have been as that dirty, but that would been cool. Maybe not dirty, but seeing him craggy and old, like Slapshot age, yeah. drinking Ugh. and getting into this. Oh, yeah. Slapshot. <laughs> Kolstad's grandfather was literally named John Wick. <laughs> That's fun. And Keanu loved the name so much, he decided to keep it for the character. The character in the script was originally called Scorn, and that was the name of the movie. But Keanu liked John Wick so much, he decided that they should just keep it John Wick. I think that's better. It is better. It's more everyman, because Scorn is just like, yeah, it's a little on the nose. <laughs> I mean, I understand I, why I, I when you write that script, I that's totally what you it. call it. But oh, like, totally. Yeah. Having it be a real character makes a lot of sense. No, like, that, that was a good choice. And finally, he shopped this movie for nearly two years before it finally got picked up by a studio. Okay. Now, let's talk about who directed this movie. Okay. Because that is probably the number one reason it is as good as it is. Okay. We have Chad Stahelski, first off. Oh, okay. So we have more than one. He is the only credited director. Oh. This is his first ever directing credit. And he was the longtime stunt coordinator and stunt ah. double for Keanu uh, Reeves. Yes. Uh-huh. Yep. Throughout mm-hmm. all of the Matrix movies yep. and mm-hmm. a ton of other stuff he like, did. That, 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 sell, that sells it. Mm-hmm. Yep, he second unit directed Hunger Games, mm-hmm. Civil War, and Birds of Prey. Yep. So you want to talk about the action in Birds of Prey, okay. you can see where it came from. Okay. After this, he did John Wick 2, John Wick 3, colon Parabellum, and he has been announced as the new director of Highlander. <gasps> yeah! Okay, that's badass. I know! Okay. Y'all know how I feel about Highlander, but that's badass. A new Highlander will be awesome. With this guy? <laughs> I'm here for that. Mm -hmm. Now, we have an uncredited director. Okay. And we'll get into why this happened because it is not anything bad. Just DGA rules? Pretty much. Okay. The uncredited director is David Leach. He is also a longtime stunt coordinator and second unit director. He also worked on Civil War, did Jurassic World, and has done a lot of stuff with Stahelski. After this, though, he directed Atomic Blonde, Deadpool 2, and Hobbs and Shaw. Oh, both films that we adored. Yeah. Which the action was also fabulous. Fantastic in. Okay, that's amazing. <laughs> okay, all right. You get why this movie's so good. Okay, but here's the thing. So not only do those guys just bread and butter, they know action. Yeah. But their lead guy, they know how that guy fucking moves. Mm-hmm. They know everything that Keanu is capable of, what he is physically capable of, and as a director in an action film, that's amazing. It's that plus Keanu clearly wanted to up his game. Sure. So they knew who they needed to talk to, who they needed to work with, who they wanted to coordinate stunts for them so that they could push it that much push further. It. And also, what have we done before? How do we make it different? But we know what you're capable of. And again, The Matrix changed the game. Yeah. Action film. Like, just how you film a fucking action film. Like, say what you want about all those movies. They change the fucking game. Well, and this movie, in some ways, has changed the fucking game. Absolutely. But Keanu being a part of that, and then, with uh, it's just, that's, oh, that makes my heart so fucking, I'm like, <laughs> damn, that's good. You know, I think the other thing, too, with the acting and where we can credit it is that they know Keanu has the chops to mm-hmm. do whatever scene they want to put in front of him. Yeah. 
So those guys trust Keanu mm-hmm. enough to be like, you do what you're good at here. Yeah. We need an emotional scene. We trust you to buy into that. Well, and probably also like, this is what we've put on the page. This is like, let's have the conversation. This is what we want in the scene. We trust you to make it happen. That's why you were hired to do this. And then you trust us to make you do the action stuff good. Yeah. That's that's what the whole thing is supposed to be. I think something smart, too, in looking at how things are filmed in this movie. Mm-hmm. You know, the action sequences are brilliant, and yeah. dazzling, oh. and amazing to look at. The emotional sequences are very bread and butter plain. Yes. But that's important mm-hmm. because everything else is so kinetic and so frenzied in this movie. And very layered. That it plays to their strengths to be yeah, like, absolutely. if we're, we're going to get into the emotional weight of a scene, uh-huh. then we're just going to lean back yeah. and just make sure we make it look pretty good. Yeah. Like if you look at the scene where he's burying the dog versus anytime he's talking to another person, it's very different. There's so much more lighting and sound effects and angles going on. Yeah. So when he's burying his dog, there's nothing there. It's just natural lighting. The camera doesn't move very much. It's just very plain, and it should be a very stark difference now. You mentioned the fighting sequence. That whole thing with him in the club and him, he's like walking down that pathway. There are cuts, but I'm watching this, and I was like, they filmed this in one. There's no doubt in my mind, and we haven't watched any special features, but there's no way, because I'm watching the way this is moving. I was like, they filmed this multiple times, but they were they the way they choreographed this was to film it all is one action. We're going to film it like we're filming it in one. And then we're just going to make cuts for whatever errors because there's no way with the way I'm looking at the choreography and I was like, no, this is how this worked. And it's amazing. Well, I think I think from what I can tell, it was filmed in sequence. But I do think the way they were moving from point to point, they had to like, okay, we got to shift all the cameras now. So, oh, no, mm. no. For that, there's, a, there's a whole sequence of that that I'm just like, no. They just, they did it several times, but they shot it like they were shooting it in one. And I think one way they were coming from one direction, another way they were coming from the other direction. That was it. That was the only difference. No. Because I can tell from the choreography. I'll have to, I'll have to look that up later. I, I, I need you to, because I was like that, the way this looks, I was like, mm, this looks like a dance. They picked the perfect They did. They knew what the, fu- I was like, not in a bad way, but you know, you watch enough fucking movies to analyze them. You start noticing things. If you're on set for that many movies, and then you second unit that many movies, yep. you know how it works. Mm-hmm. Like, it, especially with some of these, it's not that complicated a process. You just have to have an idea in your head. The two co-directed and produced the film together. Oh, great. Now, the problem is the Director's Guild generally only allows one director to be credited unless it's very specific circumstances. Yeah. So, they agreed that Stahelski would get the director credit. hmm Probably because he'd never done it. And Leach got the producer credit instead. That works. And it sounds like, and I, and I haven't investigated this too much further, Leach may have been a producer on a lot of these after the mm-hmm. fact as well. Just because they seem to have a good kept working it that relationship. Way. So, good news. It wasn't like somebody had to take over on this movie. Nobody was being a jerk. Nope. They just, that's, from, it's rules. From these counts, yeah. They reused stuntmen throughout the movie. <laughs> okay. Mostly changing their hair. So, if you're eagle-eyed and watching this, it is likely that guards and henchmen with longer hair were shot first in sequence of the film. Okay. And then later, when they're short or bald, they were shot later in the filming process. That's awesome. (laughs) That's just smart. Yeah. 
And finally, the original cut of this film was two hours and 20 minutes long. Wow. Most of those cuts were just shots of Keanu looking badass while walking in cool looking places. I want to see that cut. (laughs) (laughs) They also cut down the fight with Vigo because they did not want Vigo to seem more physically imposing against John Wick. Okay. Which makes a shit ton of sense. That guy should not be a big bad for John Wick to have to fight. Mm -mm. All right. Our cast. And we start with Keanu fucking Reeves. Of course we do. As John Wick. As we mentioned, we have talked about him twice on this show before with Point Break and Babes in Toyland 1986. I have his whole list of stuff, but you know what? I'm not going to tell you because you should go listen to Cool Breeze Over the Mountain. You will see all of the films up to, I think, 2016 now they're in. So, like, you'll know a bunch of those. I will mention... Upcoming are Bill and Ted Face the Music, Hell yeah. John Wick 4, which mm-hmm. has been recently announced, and The Matrix 4, which has also recently been announced. Yeah. What do we think about Keanu in this movie? I love him. He's so good. He's amazing. Yeah. He's badass. He's still he's still able to be funny. And tender. Yeah. He's he's able to hit all he hits all the notes. At the perfect time. Yeah. I got nothing, there's nothing else to say about him. don't know. Except the trivia I've got here. Okay. Per Keanu, he did 90% of his own stunts for this movie. I believe it. He trained for four months to get ready for the movie. Eight hours a day training in weapons and martial arts. No fun. He had to look convincing, and he did. I, I get it. I understand why. But boo. Yeah. He said that the loss of his wife, Jennifer Syme, in a car accident in the 90s was a huge emotional influence on him in making the film. Yeah. But he stated he drew on that for this role, which was like, so this makes this maybe your most personal movie. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) That sucks. Here's the thing, though. I will give him a lot of credit Mm -hmm. for seeing that this role allowed him to tap into a well somewhere for him Mm -hmm. to work with that. Like, he sees this as such a personal vehicle that he wanted to go there. No, like, I'm like, oh, this might be a little therapeutic for me. Yeah. I think that's kind of amazing that you would do it in an action movie. Poor sad Keanu. Yeah. But he's not really sad. No. He's like the happiest human being on planet right now. I don't know if he's the happiest. He's just the most serene. Mm -hmm. He's the most serene human being that we are able to observe. It's true. breathtaking you're all breathtaking he learned and memorized the nightclub sequence the day it was filmed of course of course he did because he's Keanu want to know why he had a flu of 104 cool (laughs) sounds fun (laughs) yeah and you know now we think about that and we're like yeah that's bad don't do that don't do it don't who could have been better nothing No one. There's a long ass list. I will refute it all. Sylvester Stallone. No. Dolph Lundgren. No. Jean-Claude Van Damme. Also no. Bruce Willis. Interesting. Kurt Russell. Ooh, maybe. Yeah, I know. <laughs> okay, when, you, when you're talking about the original- 60-year-old? 60-year-old, sh- I, I approve Bruce Willis or Kurt Russell. Also, this is the entire cast of The Expendables. <laughs> Nicolas Cage. David Answer. Interesting. I will say it every time. I know. It would be interesting. It will always be interesting. Kevin Costner. No. In another world. No. Jason Statham. No. And the closest to getting the role outright, but turning it down, probable garbage human Johnny Depp. This 
type of franchise would be really interesting for him to tackle. Yeah. He's never played a buff assassin type of dude. No. I would be interested in seeing what he could do with that. And yes, he is in timeout. <laughs> you are a suspicious person. As I said, probable garbage human. Probable garbage. <laughs> um, yes, we have previously dragged him through the mud. We have got new information, so now you're just in timeout until more things we can suss. There's a lot of smoke. There's... Let's just leave it there. You're in timeout. <laughs> but we're not here to talk about Johnny Depp. No, fuck Johnny Depp. Keanu Reeves was the only person for this fucking movie. He's the best person on that list. It's, uh, there, again, there are some choices there. Kurt fucking Russell. I, I, with a different team? Yes. Different team? And, well, no, same team. But like, if you're, if the whole thing is you want that late 50s, early 60s age, okay, that would be cool. But, I, but no, Keanu. 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 Next up, we have Michael Nyquist as Vigo Tarasov. He's a Swedish film star. He is most renowned for playing the lead character Michael Blomqvist in the Swedish version of the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo series. Mm-hmm. All three of those films. And then was also in Abduction and Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. He passed away in 2017. Oh, okay. So, what do we think of Michael Nyquist in this He's movie? He's pretty cool. I liked him. He's got an interesting edge to him. He's a little... Okay, so him with Alfie Allen as his son are very well matched because Alfie Allen's, and like, I know we're going to talk about him, but like Alfie Allen's so manic in the whole movie. And this guy is not that way, but he has a touch of it. And it's very subtle. There just kind of becomes these points where you can see he's getting nervous. He's really twitchy and he is fucking scared of what his son just did to him. And so I loved, it was so subtle, but I loved it. And so I, I really, I really enjoyed him. I think it's brilliant because he, he captures the idea of you are a terrible person who mm-hmm. murders and connives and gets power on people. You're a bad guy. Yeah. You have a son who is a fuck up, but that you care about. Like you're trying to keep him alive, but then it just gets to a point where you're like, yeah, my son just needs to die. Like <laughs> this, this is over. He's a dipshit. But because you can constantly see him weighing in his head, what is the sunk cost fallacy of me trying to keep this kid alive? Yeah. And how far am I willing to go? Yeah. And it's kind of a brilliant move to do that to a bad guy. Yeah, it's great. Because I don't think John Wick has any hard feelings for him, per se, for a long part of this movie. No, it's great. (laughs) But, you know, he just will not stop getting in the way. And then my son... A few days after his wife died, you steal his car and kill his fucking dog. Father, I can make this right. Oh, how do you plan that? By finishing what I started. What the fuck? Did he hear a fucking word I said? Papa, you have so brave, Lopajalos. John will come for you. In one stunt sequence, he had his entire head cut open. His ear was resting on his shoulder. He had to get 80 stitches. And some of the final scenes had to be reshot in order to get him at an angle to hide the scar. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh. Okay, that's not cut off your footbed, but that's not great. It's not. It's not great. Good. 
And as we said, this was one of his final major film roles. Now we get to Alfie Allen as Yosef Tarasov. Before this, he was in Elizabeth, Agent Cody Banks 2 Destination London, Stoned, Atonement, The Other Boleyn Girl, and Game of Thrones. After this, he was in Pandemic, The Predator, Harlots, and Jojo Rabbit. What do we think of Alfie Allen? He's such a little dick. <laughs> like he's he, so good at he it. He shows up, and I was like, "Oh, Theon!" You're but he's a little jackass. But then he kills the dog, and he's worse than Theon. Theon got redemption. Theon did get redemption. This motherfucker. Theon, Theon broke my fucking heart. This motherfucker. You killed that dog. You deserve to die. We you little pissant. I remember we talked about. It, it was like he has. Such a hard job in this movie. He does. He really does. Because John Wick annihilates people mm-hmm. and buildings and all sorts of shit. Yeah. Like wreaks horrible havoc. Mm-hmm. And the only way that you're able to justify it, because it's gory and violent mm-hmm. at times. The only way you're going to justify it is if this character is the biggest prick in the universe. Yeah. And like the second he shows up, one... That was great casting because you already knew him. He was huge from Game of Thrones and he was, he rivaled the Lannisters on being horrible people at this point. He has a punchable face. He has the most punchable face. And, <laughs> and, then, he, and he is reportedly one of the nicest humans in the world. Yeah, which is precious. And then on top of that, everything that comes out of his mouth is foul and makes him a jackass. Yeah. And so, and then every action he takes as a character is to be more of an ass. And a coward. And a complete coward. Like, he's pulling his, his ladies in front of him died from bullets. Which yeah. Is, which is like, yeah, that, that makes yeah. sense. So, again, A plus to the writing. Yeah. And Alfie Allen sold it every time. It's, it's great. He's fabulous in it. He he doesn't even have that many lines, but he no. is critical to the success of the movie. Yes, he's fabulous. No, because you have to understand why he would be so scared. You have to understand, like, why is this little jackass getting to him? Well, he does this horrible thing, and it and, and then he's a dick about it. Yeah. It's not, it, you did this horrible thing, fine, but then you're a dick about it. Ugh. At no point does he recognize he's done anything wrong. He doesn't care. Ever. There's no... <laughs> No ounce of remorse. Like when he realized when he realizes that John Wick understood what he said in Russian. Uh-huh. Didn't even didn't even phase like oh, fucker. Why do you why do you speak Russian? Oh, should have. Okay. Fucking should have. It should have made him go, fuck shit. Maybe don't mess with this guy. Yeah. Alfie visited Russian public baths in New York City to work on his accent. Cool. And Stahelski and Leach knew they needed somebody who looked like a complete, and I quote, <laughs> prick. To justify all of the death in the film, including the puppy. Like, how do we justify showing a dog get murdered Mm -hmm. if we're going to make it happen? And they met Alfie and thought he looked perfect for the role. The only person whose face is more punchable than Alfie Allen is Macaulay Culkin. Nope. Jared Leto. Oh. Jared Leto is the most punchable person in Hollywood. For a lot of reasons. He runs a cult now. He does run a cult now. But I don't know. Oh. So punchable. Fuck that dude. I mean, he totally fucked that dude, but I don't know. Yep. Nope. Nope. He's more punchable than Alfie. Alfie's punchable. No. (laughs) Great casting there. Yep. 
And finally, the last of our main cast, and I think the first time mentioned in one of our main episodes, Willem Dafoe as Marcus. We never talked about Willem Dafoe? Not in any of our actual movies. We've talked about him for like reviews of The Lighthouse or some other stuff. Okay, he's been in like current films. He's never been in a film we've reviewed. No, probably because we've seen a lot of them. That's true. Before this, he was in... Heaven's Gate, Streets of Fire, To Live and Die in L.A. By the way, I'm hitting the highlights here. Oh, sure. Platoon, The Last Temptation of Christ, Mississippi Burning, Born on the Fourth of July, Wild at Heart, Flight of the Intruder, Body of Evidence, Tom and Viv, Clear and Present, Danger, Bosquiat, The English Patient, Speed 2 Cruise Control, The Boondock Saints, American Psycho, Shadow of the Vampire, Spider-Man in 2002, Autofocus, Finding Nemo, Once Upon a Time in Mexico, The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, The Aviator, Inside Man, Antichrist, My Son, My Son, What Have You Done, Fantastic Mr. Fox, John Carter, Out of the Furnace, The Grand Budapest Hotel, and The Fault in Our Stars. After this, he was in A Family Man, The Florida Project, Death Note, Murder on the Orient Express, At Eternity's Gate, Vox Lux, The Lighthouse, Motherless Brooklyn, Togo, Siberia, and The French Dispatch he will be in. The man just has hit after hit. To name a few. (laughs) What do we think of Willem Dafoe in this movie? He's kind of wasted. Hmm, interesting. I honestly, his was the character that I had the most trouble with. I was like, who are you? Why do we care about you? What's your deal? Are you a good guy? Are you a friend or a foe? What's, what's, What's your deal? And then it's stabby, 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 dead. I was like, all right. He needs maybe five more minutes. His was the relationship that we needed a little bit more context for. I mean, maybe. I I bought that he is like father figure. Sure. He's what kind of family mm-hmm. or thread that John has left in like normal world. Mm-hmm. And so that's why he can't bring himself to actually kill John. Mm-hmm. He's just going to warn him. Yeah. But they left it hanging enough that it's probably the one thing in the movie that was like, I don't even need a lot. I just need like one minute of y'all having a conversation, like maybe having the gun on there and then calling him and saying like, a bullet's about to come through your window. You've always been a father to me. And that's it. Yeah, something like that. That's all you need. But it, they just didn't firmly establish that relationship enough. Yeah, that that was the only, that was the only thing they felt was wasted about him. Wasn't that little little info? Well, yeah, he's amazing. All right, on to Arpons. Arpons. Dean Winters as of. Yep, it's great. Dennis Duffy, Brooklyn Nine Nine. Mm-hmm. He's the Vulture. Mayhem. He's he's so great. Adrian Palicki as Miss Perkins. You would know her from Friday Night Lights and 2012's Red Dawn. Oh yeah, we watched that. She did all her own stunts for this film. That's cool. And this role was originally written for a male actor. Well, I'm glad they switched it to a lady because we Ms. needed more ladies. Miss Perkins was badass. She was badass. Again, we didn't need any context other than, oh, they fought before. Especially because she gets motherfucking murked right at the end of the movie. She is. Well, yeah. She broke the fucking rules. And, Don't do it. And also, I, okay, and this is just a weird, like, it's kind of weird thing. But I like in these situations when the combat between men and women is full out. Oh, yeah. Someone's trying to murder you. You try to murder them right back. (laughs) Those are the rules. And so I enjoy that. Yep. And it was very cool. They're assassins. We should believe they're assassins. I just remember the first time I saw that was in Mr. and Mrs. Smith. And that was a criticism that so many people had. It was like, they're both assassins and they're trying to kill each other. You, You try to kill each other right back. Yeah, no. Like, this just makes sense to me. 
We have Toby Leonard Moore as Victor. He played James Wesley in the first season of Daredevil and is currently on Billions. He's of note here because he has a fun story. His character was originally supposed to be drowned in a toilet. Okay. But the difficulty of pivoting around the stalls meant that they moved to the sink. So this is the character that gets drowned in a sink by John Wick. Bridget Moynihan as Helen, John Wick's wife. You would know her from Coyote Ugly, iRobot, and the CBS series Blue Bloods. Mm -hmm. She decided not to read the script to avoid coloring her view of John Wick outside of their marriage. For like the three minutes of this movie, which again, it's down to the little details on this movie. Something like that could seem really trivial Mm -hmm. because she's basically like background archive footage. Yeah, she's just a voice on a message. She's a couple pictures and she's literally one scene that you barely see her in. But by making that decision, it just gives it that much more weight. And it's brilliant to do that. Mm -hmm. We have John Leguizamo as Aurelio. Love John Leguizamo. And this movie. Yeah. Again, all the five minutes, but so, first of all, just grounded, which is yeah. not something we get from John Leguizamo a lot. We have in the more recent years. Yeah, he's... but I mean, it's not, it's not like his bread and butter. No. But yeah. like, he's just like, what the fuck did you do? Get the fuck out of my shop. You're like fucking morons. <laughs> no, it's great. Yep. Ian McShane as Winston. Al fucking Swearingen in this movie. I'm always happy when I see Ian McShane. With his... So dreamy British accent. It's pretty. It's so good. I love him. Uh, And with this wonderful, we mostly know him as Al Swearingen, right? Mm -hmm. Gruff over the top. Even in Game of Thrones and that cameo he had. Still gruff. And in this, he's way more laid back. Subdued. Chill. It's like, I I help run the hotel and the bar. And like, we're just here having a good time. But don't fuck with me. Who could have been better? Originally cast in the role, Jason Isaacs. Okay, cool. And a laundry list. Al Pacino. Eh. Michael Douglas. Interesting. Yeah. Bruce Dern. No. No. Wrong vibe. I love Bruce Dern, but no. Wrong vibe. Robert De Niro. No. Christopher Walken. Maybe. Rutger Hauer. Maybe. Those blue eyes, that gray hair. You love him way too much. He's a great actor. Liam Neeson. No. Christoph Waltz. No. All right. We have Bridget Regan as Addie, the bartender. She she has been a lead in Jane the Virgin and was also an Agent Carter. Mm-hmm. Lance Reddick as Sharon, the hotel manager. Mm-hmm. A legend of television. Lost, The Wire, Oz, so many great shows. He's, he's phenomenal. Like I saw him and I was like, oh, it's that dude. Love having him here. Tate Fletcher as Nikolai, one of the random henchmen. He was the woodcutter on Westworld. Okay. Randall Duke Kim as the Continental Doctor. You would know him as the voice of Uguay in Kung Fu Panda and the key maker in Matrix Reloaded. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know that. I know who that dude is. That's some A-level stunt casting. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's stunt casting that works. I know. Like, I'm not, I'm not against stunt casting. You just have to do it in a way that isn't, like, distracting. So Lance... Reddick, that could have been a stunt cast easily. That would have been a great place to have someone like Stallone. Or somebody from the Matrix franchise. Sure. Where where it would have made total sense. You could have also stunt cast Mrs. Perkins. Yep. That would have been, okay, Carrie Ann Moss in that role would have been hilarious. It would have, but it kind of would have ruined the tone of this movie. It would have taken me out, but it also would have been fucking hilarious to me. But 
having a lighthearted scene with a doctor is like, eh, fucking take an Advil and go back, I guess. With the guy who was super serious with yeah, Neo no, and the Matrix it. Reloaded. No, it's great. We have Clark Peters, the great character actor from The Wire, The Corner, and Treme, mm. as Harry, his friend. That dude. That dude is the shit. <laughs> and finally, the wrestling legend, Kevin Nash, who is also Tarzan in Magic Mike, playing Francis outside the bar. Sure. That's such a fun scene. Hey, yeah. Francis, how's it going? <laughs> I'm all right. You going in? Yeah. <laughs> all right. Trivia. Trivial. To get the dog to lick Keanu's face, they smeared bacon grease on it. Yeah, they did. <laughs> Scene is adorable. <sighs> okay, I will say the one. Okay, I have one problem with Keanu in this movie. Uh-oh. The hair drapes. The hair drapes were a bit extreme. I... <sighs> I understand they want broody hair in his eyes, but they're hair drapes. Like it was just that in between. It either needed to be shorter or much longer. I just really like him with the short hair, or maybe the point break hair. Here's the thing: the in between doesn't work for me. No. Him with long hair, hot. Him with short hair, hot. Him with bro hair, also hot. But the <laughs> hair drapes, no. Uh, <laughs> That's my one complaint about Keanu, and it's not even his fault. And I'll yeah. forgive him. The tattoo on John Wick's back has the phrase Fortis Fortuna Adiuvat, or Fortune Fortune Favors the Strong, the motto of many global militaries. Mm -hmm. It is highly suggested because of that and his shooting style and use of specific weapons that John Wick may have been a Marine. Sharon, the hotel manager, is a direct reference to the ferryman of Hades who has to be paid for safe passage. John pays him a gold coin Mm -hmm. for safe passage in the underworld. Okay. So there's some big symbolism with the gold coins that once I read that, I was like, oh, well, this makes a shit ton of sense why they're they're using this as currency. Like, it doesn't always make logical sense, but it does make, I pay you this so you treat me well sense. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, I get it. The security guard that waves Wick through where he's driving out his feelings mm-hmm. is reading Rod Whitaker's novel Shibumi about a retired assassin dragged back into the game. Oh, okay. Vigo's story of Wick killing three men with a pencil is a central scene in that novel. Oh, okay. Again, those deep cuts. Yeah, deep cuts that if you know, great. If you don't, okay. But that still serve the plot of the story. No, I love it. The Beagle puppy was eight weeks old at the time. Oh, yeah. And the Beagle was named Andy. <gasps> named Daisy for the movie. So cute. So cute. Was so precious. And of course, they didn't actually hurt the dog. Duh. Ever. But it's the cutest puppy. In the safe house, Grigori's username in the video game he is playing is Neo. He is shooting at a character named Point Break. (laughs) Nice. The building facade for the Continental is the same as the destroyed stock exchange in The Dark Knight Rises. The Red Circle Bar is a reference to Le Circle Rouge, a great little 70s French action movie and a big inspiration for this film. Also a big influence on this movie was John Woo's The Killer, mm-hmm. one of his Chow Yun-Fat movies from Hong Kong. Keanu had been offered $7 million to star in an English-language remake of that film in the 90s. Oh, wow. As an homage to Keanu saying, whoa, in so many movies, other characters say, oh, in a similar manner when John Wick is referenced. (laughs) I noticed that. But Keanu never does. That's good, because that's just too much. (laughs) And finally, 
all of the red shirt henchmen are wearing red shirts in the club. A direct reference to Star Star Trek. Trek. That's precious. (laughs) Ratings. Oh, we're at ratings. Okay. I mean, that's it. That's that is. This is a nice and tight little action movie. I love it. Okay. Uh, What's our rating system? How many gold coins are we going to give this film? Yes. How many gold coins? Mm, Trying to think. I'm gonna go with a four. Okay. Solid. It's a solid movie. It's super fun. Like, like I wish like the thing with Willem Dafoe had been tightened up a little bit and his hair drapes, like, are keeping it from like being like that much higher for me. But like, that's my first instinct is a four. It's not like Casino Royale where I'm just like I want to watch this five more times now. It's a four point five for me. Okay. Like it's it's really good. I can't find a whole lot that I would say you need to change this. Mm-hmm. Like even the things that are imperfect about the movie, mm-hmm. I don't know what else you would do to make them more perfect. Yeah. The Willem Dafoe thing is the only thing we've caught. And I feel like that's why I absolutely can't call it a perfect movie. Sure. Because there is a level at which if you don't understand what's going on here, I'm like, I don't. Marcus's character is kind of messy here. And yeah. there is some messiness, but it serves the purpose of the movie. And see, for me, it was that and the hair drapes. Well, the hair drapes don't bother me. Keanu's just being a badass the whole movie. I don't care. Love a badass Keanu. But it's that good. Mm-hmm. There's a reason it got the hype it did. Yep. I, I totally agree. And you know what? Hmm. Now we got to go watch the second one. Aw, oh, darn. Let's do that. Let's go. <laughs> Right, so we just finished watching John Wick, Chapter 2. After returning to the criminal underworld to repay a debt, John Wick discovers that a large bounty has been put on his life. It got more violent. <laughs> it's only gonna get more violent. I'm here for it, because it was, like, it was, like, I expected it to be more violent. I expected more dog deaths. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the only thing that didn't occur in this movie that I was expecting. Yeah, I... I feel like I heard somewhere that there are no more dog deaths. Like that first one was the only one that really happens. And okay. then the rest of it is just going on. Okay. Um, so I, I think what I loved about this one is that we got a lot more mythology. We got to know more about the organization, which was cool. Love it. Perfect. I'm really hyped for the possibility of a, a TV show set in this universe because it's perfect. I mean, get even more hyped. It's already happening. Oh, fuck yes. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm here for this. Stupid COVID is going to delay it, but I'm here for this. This was, it was just fun. The violence was, it wasn't a repeat of the last one. So we got, we didn't see the exact same fighting style from Keanu, which was also great. Like, there's, a lot, there's a lot more gunplay than hand-to-hand combat in this movie. Gunplay, gunplay. They had like the most amazing, I called it the Q scene. <laughs> uh, that uh, you could possibly get that really allowed for some interesting combat that if they didn't have that like the whole thing with the suits like lining tactical okay well if they didn't have bulletproof suits they wouldn't have been able to have that kind of gunfight which just amps up the the stakes and so that makes it so cool so I like all of those those layers and it all just works so well it goes back to a perfect synergy between director wanting to amp up the stunt work Mm -hmm. and writer figuring out a creative way to write that into the script 
where it it is cheesy, but not in a bad way. No. In it, a believable way. Well, here's the thing. You've already bought into like there's this insanity that is this assassin's world. <laughs> and they have this absurd amount of money. So like, okay, we've we've already bought in. So what's the culture? What is this whole process? What's this hotel? Well, this hotel is where you get your shit together. This is where we get you set up. So, okay, let's add this other layer to it. And it's very easy to buy into. And it's great. And it's super fun. Yeah. They push the lore even further. Uh-huh. And then they push the fights even harder. Yeah. And we we have a great cat. I mean, it's just it's great. And like they, it just I love that it wasn't a repeat of the last one. No, because- they're clearly telling a multi-layered story. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that Keanu's hair drapes aren't as bad. <laughs> like they're still there, but they made a very clear effort to get them out of his face. Tie it back. Well, they they slicked it back because it wasn't long enough to That's tie. True. But I was like, okay, we're like, because it takes place like a day later. <laughs> his hair <laughs> still has to be similar. It's it's about a week, but yeah. still. Yeah. So the hair drapes are being addressed. Talk about a direct sequel working perfectly. Oh sure. Like, they knew exactly what story they wanted to tell. They knew exactly how it was going to come right from the last one. And I love the consequences. Like, I love, okay, so like you made this promise to this dude. This is part of your order. He made this promise. Great. He was never going to call you on this because you retired, but you came back for revenge. So now you're back in the game. So now I'm calling you. Whether you like it or not. Like you came back. And so I like that that's why he's still having to do this. Like I I that makes total sense. Like you came back for bullshit reasons, so now I'm calling you up. I mean, granted, Santino is a little shithead. Oh, he is a total shithead. But even Ian McShane's character, because I can't remember anybody's name if you're not John Wick. Just <laughs> just it's fine. They don't say him enough for me to care. But John- Winston. 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 Okay, it's great. Whatever. Ian McShane. He's always Ian McShane no matter what he's in. Like, I love even him. He's like, come on, dude, this is fucked up. And even you know that. You stabbed the devil in the back and forced him back into the life that he had just left. You incinerated the priest's temple, burned it to the ground. Now he's free of the marker. What do you think he'll do? Like, he calls him on that as well. And then when... When Santino puts the hit on John Wick, it's like, you are fucking stupid. Oh, yeah. You're a fucking idiot. You're I a lo- dead man. Like, I love that. I love that Winston's here to tell you what for. Oh, of course. Like, you're screwed, y'all. <sighs> like, even to John Wick, you're screwed, dude. You's in trouble. This does that wonderful thing of being a sophomore and middle movie of a trilogy, mm-hmm. needing to set up a lot of lore sure. and set up a climactic final thing. Mm-hmm. Without ever feeling boring about it. No, and also they don't spend too much time explaining it. You don't need to explain to us what's happening with the like with the quartermaster stuff, like with the suits and the guns, all of that shit. You don't need to go into too much explaining. It's very clear. So they've economized so well. Well, this is this is the benefit of having a stuntman as your director. They know how to show and not tell. They know how to visually give you everything you need, mm-hmm. because if they show it to you, 
you don't need five minutes of explanation on how it works. Well, if you're showing well, yeah, you don't need to tell. And they don't. They don't I, use dialogue as exposition in these movies. There's some flavor here that I have been missed that I want to see copy and pasted into the Bond. I really hope the next <laughs> Bond iteration has a little bit of this flavor. Don't just steal it, but take just a little bit of this flavor and throw it over there. The budget for this movie was $40 million. Okay, so it's twi- double the last one, right? Correct. Sweet. So, I mean... <laughs> Yeah. Again, you're going to up the ante, you double the budget. Sure, and it fair. made a shit ton of money. With all the locations and the special effects, especially with the quartermaster scenes, which is just what I'm calling them, just accepted everyone. Yeah, that makes sense. The US opening was $30,450,000. US gross made $92 million. Worldwide, $171,500,000. Sure, gangbusters. It's a runaway hit. It's great. I love the fact that this movie started off as a one-off, let's just do a crazy stunt project sure. and see how it goes, and it turned into a fucking big deal. Because they, they put out a great quality product. A hugely and quality then, product. And then they were like, okay, so how do we continue this, staying true to what we established, make it work? And they didn't shit on the first one. It, here's the thing. They each stand alone very, very well. It feels like Kolstad had a trilogy in his mind sure. this entire time while writing it. And that wouldn't surprise me at all. But that's huge sure. in a franchise like this, rather than them saying, this was so good, you got to do another one. Mm-hmm. And then be like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, he had an idea already, clearly. Yeah. And that makes all the fucking difference. Mm-hmm. For our writers, of course, we have Derek Kolstad, who wrote yep. the last one, mm-hmm. and completing work on the final screenplay of the film, Kyle Ward, whose only other major credit is Machete Kills, the sequel. Okay, okay. I mean, this is Kolstad's little baby, so oh, like, fine. I'm fine with it. It's a precious little baby, and it, like, it shows like you've really cared about it. That's, that's okay. He's cared enough to build a universe mm-hmm. around it, and there's a level of world building here that you more see in things like fantasy and sci-fi. Sure. And yet, like we said, it's done so subtly because it's an action movie with assassins. I I fully understand, given my current project right now. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, uh uh-huh. I I I noticed those details. It's an amazing feat to pull that off, to have something that's simple, Mm -hmm. yet has that much lore packed into it. Mm -hmm. And I don't... I don't know how you come up with that in your head, but it's pretty goddamn amazing what happened in this movie. Oh, sure. For directing solely, we have Chad Stahelski. David Leach is now an exec producer on these, and he's gone on to do other projects. Mm-hmm. What do we think about the directing? The directing, I think, is great. There's a little bit more special effects in this film, but it's still very light. It doesn't take away from anything. It's really more for like some of the gunplay and the with the suits and whatnot, like stuff like that. And then when they're in that exhibit, I can tell that there's some special effects going on. And that's, I mean, it's not bad. It's, yeah, it's, it's either not distracting. It's always either done to augment or to stylistically make a point. Sure. Of something you we want you to see, but we can't just show you in a normal fight. Sure. I mean, it's it's done really. It's really. I mean. It's a great continuation of the first one. It's just so. It's. I want to go watch it again. The stunts are so fucking good. Here's here is the best endorsement I can give to a film. Can I watch it again? Yeah. Like that's my best endorsement to any film. Like either man, this movie has made me think a lot, and it's just really stuck with me. Or can I watch it again? (laughs) I want to watch it again. 
like i just want to watch like i think that's what we're going to do after this we're just gonna go watch it again (laughs) i think so like okay (laughs) full spoiler they were on sale on amazon and we just fucking bought them of course we did we just fucking bought them they are that good so just like we we bought the first one and then we're just like well the other ones are on sale we're just buying them so we just did it and i have no regrets no regrets at all one of the first ideas that they came up with for this film mm-hmm. was to try to recreate the mirror room fight scene from Enter the Dragon. Okay, cool. And so they capped the film with the fight in the mirror exhibit. I like that. That is a nod to both Enter the Dragon and The Man with the Golden Gun. Sweet. Those are two movies we've talked about. I know. Oh, no, it's great. All right. On to our cast. Yeah. We have Keanu Reeves as John Wick. Mm. What do you think of him in this movie? Mm. <laughs> I'm very pro Keanu Reeves. I'm always pro Keanu Reeves. And then my brain goes, just just flashes to Ted. And I'm just like, that's the same dude. That's the same dude. It's Theodore Logan. I will say the, the interesting turn that he puts in this performance. In the first one, we talked about the emotional weight mm-hmm. and the revenge story. In this one, it's a weight But it's not as much of an emotional one as it is a mental one. It's a lot more obligation. He does not want to be doing any of this. No, but he like, I'm I'm stuck. Yes. Like he knows I'm stuck or I'm dead. Like I do this or I'm dead. There's no out. And they, they play to his strengths of his ability to use his face and his eyes Mm -hmm. to emote. Yes. By having him be completely rigid physically because that fits the character. Mm-hmm. But you read every single inch of his character yeah. through his face. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing to watch. And it's always been his strength. It's a matter of did the people who cast him play to that? Absolutely. And they knew what they were doing with the first one. And so they just did more of it this time. Love yeah. it. It's great. Again, he did about 95% of his own stunts for this Lo- film. Love it. The only ones he did not do are the stunt where Wick gets hit by a car. That's fair. And falling down the stairs with Cassian. Also fair. (laughs) That scene. Is hilarious. Went to comic territory in the best way. Yeah, because you're just like, there's a a big staircase. Of course y'all are falling down there. And then I just love, at each landing, they both are just like, fuck you. I'm going to punch you. I'm going to punch you. Got to fall down some more stairs. We're going to fall down more stairs. This This is the way this works. It's such a such a perfect moment to do a joke yeah. while still also being pretty brutal. Their comedy beats are fabulous. They are. They really are. You know why? Because they're sparing. Yes. They put them in they, just a little bit. They don't undercut the tension. They don't undercut emotional weight. They're just like, we need a beat. Like, just we just always, need- always the cop. Well, good evening, John. Hey, Jimmy. Gas leak? Yeah, gas leak. You working again? I'll see you, Jimmy. Come on, boy. Yeah. Hi, John. Oh, God damn it. <sighs> <laughs> it's great. No, it's great because it's just, it. it doesn't give anything away and it's just like yeah both these guys are liars <laughs> and, they and, know they, it. and he also knows that if john wick is back doing business it's like ah oh, 
fuck, man. Fuck, shit's about to get cray. So many dead bodies. So much um, so much carnage. And Keanu did train for three months in judo, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, marksmanship, and driving for this film. Okay, yeah, he did a lot more driving this time. He did. There's a lot more car chases Man, that in this opening one. Sequ- I'm sorry. That one stunt where he gets hit and he just pops out of the car is amazing. <laughs> like, I can tell how it's done. Like, it's like, this is either done in reverse or it's like, oh, they literally just had him go I, I just I, you can see it. You can see how it's done. Like there's some film manipulation, but I was just like, I love this. It's so cute. <laughs> this is a cute little violet stunt. I'm so happy. It's really good. All right, Ricardo Scarmaccio as Santino D'Antonio. What a dick. Oh man. In the best way. He is really mostly an Italian actor. Okay, cool. Very few American credits. Hey, this film takes place. In Italy. It very much does. I appreciate casting people from Italy. It's a kind of an interesting move. It's not done a lot. Okay. The second he put on the turtleneck, I was like, oh, this is his Italian suit. <laughs> this is John Wick goes to Rome. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> this is this is John Wick, international man of mystery. <laughs> well, and in a weird way, it's more of that subtlety. It was like, it it is a bit of a jo- in joke, but it's, it's also absolutely. it's also just such a subtle costuming cue of turtleneck. We are in Italy, button down. We're in America, like no, and it's totally fine. It's just hilarious <laughs> to me because it's it's a it's an action trope. Before this movie, for known credits, he was in the movie Burnt with Bradley Cooper. Okay, and after this, he was in a short stint on Master of None. Oh. He was. I watched that show. It was very good. And Welcome Home. Okay. So what do we think of Scarmaccio other uh, than he is a total asshole? He's a great asshole. Like, he, it, like Alfie Allen in the last one, he plays his part perfectly. But competent. Which, yes. I didn't know anything about this actor. I mean, clearly I've seen him before, Master of None, but didn't recognize him at all. But he shows up. I know he's a problem. Then as the movie goes on, it's like, oh, you're a complete douche. And that's fine. Like, you're a villain. You're supposed to be a douche to a degree. And that's okay. But in the very beginning, we don't know that. Like, we yeah. know that he holds this power yeah. over John. And we also know that it's like, look, it's very likely that he is going to turn and be a dick to him. But, like, he has the power. Yeah. How is he supposed to get out of that? We have Ian McShane as Winston, who gets a much bigger role in this film. Love it. Love Ian McShane. Anytime I see him, he's enjoyable. I love him playing down on the gruff and manic side of him Uh that he often is required just Mm -hmm. based on his look and instead being very calm and refined and big dick in charge. He's he's mafia boss, dude. That's who he is. I I wouldn't even call him mafia boss. It's just like king of the underworld. He's Hades. Oh, yeah. Because unlike a mafia boss, instead it's I have a fiefdom. For these guys, separate from all of your bullshit. So when he looks at D'Antonio, he's like, your whole thing over there doesn't affect me. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. I I love his character. I would do a series just about him. That's what the hotel series should be about. Sure. It's just Winston and the escapades at the hotel. Ruby Rose as Ares. Okay. Before this, she was in Orange is the New Black. Mm-hmm. Resident Evil, The Final Chapter, and Triple X, Return of Xander Cage. After this, Pitch Perfect 3, 
The Meg Batwoman on television. What do we think of Ruby Rose in this film? I don't know. <laughs> I... Is it a weird move to make the character deaf? Okay, I I like that we're making a badass assassin a person from the deaf community. That's true. That's cool. Um, because that's a an unusual attribute to give somebody in an action film. In an action yes. film, like that's just very uncommon. Yeah. Also, a woman. Okay, cool. Great with that. Ruby Rose. She's a better actress than I think we've seen in all of these things. <laughs> um. I think it's one of those things that she's got this very specific look. Yes. And so she goes into this little box over here, and then that's it. And so they don't give her anything else. And they did not write Ares to have any anything interesting other than the fact that she's deaf. That's what they made the most interesting thing about her, is that she's deaf. That and she is ruthlessly devoted. Which is fine, but it's... <sighs> I'm wondering if we would have gotten a more nuanced performance from someone else. It, with the same exact writing. Like, I'm not shitting on Ruby Rose. I like Ruby Rose. I want to see more from her. It's just, it's very flat to me. Hmm. Hmm. When John Wick kills Ares, he stabs her in exactly the same place that he stabs Cassian. Mm. But he removes the knife. Yep. Does not show her professional courtesy. Well, <laughs> she's a little bitch. <laughs> Speaking of Cassian, Common. Common. Before this, Common was in Smoke and Aces, American Gangster, Street Kings, Wanted, Termination, Salvation, Date Night, Hell on Wheels, The Odd Life of Timothy Green, Now You See Me, Selma, Run All Night, Entourage the Movie, and Suicide Squad. After this, A Happening of Monumental Proportions, Girls Trip, Ocean's 8, The Hate You Give, The Chai, and The Lion Guard. What do we think of Common in this movie? He's alright. He's okay. I mean, he's not like amazing but he's just he's, he's common he's common he's playing common <laughs> he's playing common in a john wick film able I'm, able to fight a little bit more his fight scenes are pretty good yeah. he, he does really well i like that he is as equally stoic against keanu reeves <laughs> that i was not expecting from him he does hold his own next to he, keanu he he can do the stare off is very good i know so that's enjoyable and then their fight scene was great it's it's fun it's, to watch those two in, in character yeah. have respect while they are so, trying to kill each other i like the whole you working tonight yeah cassian Run, 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 run. Shoot, 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 shoot. Yep. And then they both kept doing that flip the leg thing. That that was a move they liked this movie. That was. And the other one that we always got was two in the chest, one in the head. Two in the chest, one in the head. <laughs> like you, two in the chest, and then you flip the gun up, upwards through the neck and chin into Make the head. sure they're dead. And we're just like, that's a new move. He likes that one, this movie. That was another fun thing to notice. Yeah. So many Bullets, the bullets going through. Oh, that was another. That was another thing. I fucking love in these movies. He runs out of ammo. Yes, I fucking love that when he is setting up, going to go kill the lady. 
He's putting ammo out. He's putting his ammo. I love he does not have movie unlimited ammo. He is counting his bullets. He runs out of shit. I fucking love that. That makes my brain so happy. And that ain't even the best I know. running out of ammo scene in the movie. But I we'll, know. We'll wait on that. But I just, I had to, it was right. I had to say something about it because it's, it, it's one of my favorite action movie details because we never do that shit. And I will say the other great common moment, the train. Oh, the train. So tense. The train was good. So just like, oh man, when are they going to fight? Also from Russia with love. Mm-hmm. Claudia Giurini as Gianna D'Antonio. Also, big deal Italian actress. Before this, she was in Under the Tuscan Sun. Okay. And The Passion of the Christ. Okay. That is it for well-known American films. What okay. do we think of Claudia Giurini in this movie? Uh, she's lovely, gorgeous woman. She has so much gravitas. I, I love her. She shows up, you know, she's important. Like she's she's very interesting. I love the scenes with her and Keanu. Like I love the power move of like, you're gonna kill a hot naked chick? You're gonna kill a hot naked lady? I'm here for that, like, you know, gratuitous nudity, but also it works. She exudes power in every single move she makes. Yeah. It's very akin to that Monica Bellucci stuff yeah. in Spectre. Like, she's she's not a damsel in distress. She's very much like, all right, this is this is what happens to powerful leaders. Uh, especially in this organization. Totally. So, and like, and I like that whole, like, clearly there's a connection between her and John. Yes. So the fact that he's the one who's there to kill her sucks. Yeah. And I like, I like that her character takes the decisions like, fuck you, I'm not letting you or my brother have this. I'm going to kill myself. The other really cool thing is that John lets her have that. Yeah. No, I love that too. And then, like, he shoots you in the head only to prove like, okay, I made sure she was dead. Like, yeah, <laughs> I did my part. But the moment that she actually dies, he just takes he's, her hand. Like, yeah, he's just holding her hand. To help, well, and he squeezes it specifically to help her bleed out. Yeah, so A plus to the writers for giving her that much agency. It's a really interesting moment. Yeah. It is awkward and weird. You're half expecting them to bone. Maybe. You're, you don't know what is about to happen. You're expecting bone or a really grotesque murder. And like, then it gets uncomfortable because she is taking her own life. She's taking her own life, and then you then you think something weird. Like then you think he might try to save her because she's trying to kill herself. When he goes to grab her hand, you think, "Oh man, he's gonna try to save her." And he's like, "No, nope, he's just gonna hold her hand while she dies." And it's just yeah. like, "Oh damn, he's got a heart." This There's is the dog, and now this. It is just like the dog in the first movie. It takes a lot of guts and courage to write that scene. Yeah. But it takes a lot of intelligence to make that scene work and pay off in a way that does not feel gratuitous. Gratuitous or cheesy. And in no way does it feel that way. I know. And it also does not feel like something. It doesn't feel out of character for John. No. It does the opposite. It makes you like really think about that. You're like, damn, if I didn't want to bone him before, I want to bone him now. I don't know about that. Just the consequences of being top level in a crime organization. I'm sorry, this is Keanu Reeves' the most bonable movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, on to Arpons. Arpons! We have Lance Reddick returning as Sharon. Woohoo! Oh, he gets to play with a dog. It's so cute. He's the doggy babysitter. Lawrence Fishburne as the Bowery King. Larry Fishburne! That was 
adorable. Fucking brilliant. Like, I knew about it, but I had forgotten about it, so I was like, hey, it's Larry Fishburne. I will always call him Larry Fishburne forever, because it's Cowboy Curtis. This is actually the first time they worked together since the last Matrix film. Sure, sure. That makes sense. That's awesome. No, it's adorable. And it's just he, a, it's a goofy little role. But it is so great, because he just gets to be there and be like, oh, oh, John fucking Wick. Oh, you little motherfucker want to come get some help from me. Okay. Uh-huh, because you still owe me shit. Somebody please get this man a gun. I love that. It's <laughs> very petty. And then, uh, $7 million gets you seven bullets. I love that. Oh. oh, petty AF. I love it. And sets up the most amazing gunfight. I love it. It's great. It's so good. I, it's so cute. Can I also say, I love that whole construct of the homeless people are all a part of this organization. I think that's brilliant and amazing. The Bowery homeless yeah. are actually a full-on crime syndicate. I love it. That makes me like, okay, it makes me sad. So now I'm like, I wish that was the case for the homeless people. Like, you're a part of crime organization, so you have food and shelter and all that a wonderful thing. But in terms of a construct within the film, that's a fabulous way that's, to be to be hidden in plain sight. Hells yeah. So good. It's just just the second that that guy's got the mug out and he's like, take me to him, hide under here. <laughs> whips a gun out that you had no, no idea was there. And then he just keeps mumbling, and then two other people come by and just take the bodies away. So good! You're just like, what just happened? <laughs> what happened here? It, I love everything about it. Ah, uh, good times. John Leguizamo, returning as Aurelio. Hell so yeah. good. Love him. Just one moment. Jeez, what did you do to this car? Yeah, I can fix it. Yeah, I mean, I can fix it. <laughs> See you next Christmas. Bridget Moynihan returning as Helen. Yep. Thomas Sadowski as Jimmy the Officer. He mm -hmm. is returning from John Wick. Yep. David Patrick Kelly as Charlie. Yep. You would know him from lots of action movies. Yeah. Franco Nero as Julius. Now, you might not be familiar with Franco Nero if you haven't seen a lot of Italian spaghetti westerns, but you have seen Franco Nero before. Because he was the original Django. Okay. And made an appearance in Django Unchained. Oh, yeah. So, like, I know the name. This is a great role to put him in. Because sure. he is a really good... I mean, he's been a B-movie actor, but he is a really good actor. Mm -hmm. And to put him in the Winston role in Italy, mm, great, great choice. Sure. Peter Serafinowitz as the sommelier. I love him. I showed him, <laughs> I was like, hell Yeah. Of course, from the majesty of British comedy, including Look Around You, 2017's The Tick, and Guardians of the Galaxy. Peter Stormare as Abram. Peter Stormare you would know from Fargo, Armageddon, and The Big Lebowski as the main nihilist. Oh, yeah. And he plays the bad guy's brother. Sure. <laughs> Always the bad guy's brother. Five minutes in this movie. And it's like, not only do we have this whole other arc, but we resolve more shit from the first movie. I just love the whole thing. Like, yeah, I heard about the whole pencil thing. And like, they have a whole conversation about all this shit, the fucking car. And then we later we get to see the pencil trick. Uh-huh. I love the fucking pencil trick. It's amazing. Oh, it's so grody, it's, but so it's, good. It's gross, but in the best way. Was Stevens as the conciliary to Abram. He was Paul Capra, the big deal union guy in season one of House of Cards. Mm-hmm. 
Joan Smalls as a continental female assassin. She is a Victoria's Secret model. Oh, okay. And finally, someone we know personally in an uncredited role as parent, Daniel Garcia. Hey, it's Daniel Garcia. Yes, we do know Daniel Garcia. <laughs> oh, okay. I do. Know. Yeah, we do. Know. Okay. Uh, yeah, we went to college with him. He's a great uh-huh. dude. He is in this movie. I keep seeing him show up and things like, hey, it's Daniel Garcia. <laughs> Uh, we the, the, we have a couple friends that we've been to college with. Every now and then, I'm like, "Hey, it's so and so." We we get to do the Leo DiCaprio bit. Mm-hmm. Point at the television. Mm. Mm. <laughs> it's very fun. Yay, Daniel! <laughs> All right, trivia. The Australian distributor planned to release this film directly to DVD when it came out. Ooh, not in theaters. The company then got carpet bombed by social media messages yeah. and emails from fans demanding a theatrical release. Bitches, you put this on the movie screens. Ooh, they quickly reversed course and agreed to release it in theaters. Yeah, that worked out well. <laughs> the rooftop garden scene with Winston and John Wick is the same setting as Spider-Man when Spidey saves Mary Jane from the Green Goblin. Oh, okay. Despite all of the killing and gunfights, no other police are seen in this film except Jimmy the Cop. I love that. (laughs) That's great. You can hear sirens in Rome, but police are near non-existent in these films. I'm okay with that. In the movie, John Wick tells the Bowery King, so I guess you have a choice. Just like Morpheus said to Neo in The Matrix. Yeah, that's on that's on purpose. There's no way that's on, on purpose. In the last movie, the guy's thing said Neo. I like know. there's no way. Neither of you are ever getting the fuck away from the Matrix. Just like it's fine. They don't care. No, y'all made your money. You changed movie history. It's fine. But the best part is that then Fishburne gets to be the biggest dick in the world to Keanu. The biggest dick. And it's so good. Big dick energy. And finally, when the sommelier mentions Wick is familiar with, quote, German varietals, he's making a reference to Wick's constant use of the Heckler and Koch P30L handgun. Okay. His preferred handgun. Mm-hmm. And that is it. Oh, wow. Not a lot of trivia or interesting tidbits about this movie, but it's a lean movie, so why would it? I mean, like, and that's another thing. Like, this movie moves. Again, we pick up right where we left off with the last film. And you're like, okay, like, are we just going to continue? No. And then within 15 minutes of the movie, we know what our new problem is. Is That's great. And then it, we just keep going. We just go. And this is great. We do these series so often. Yeah. And second movies are almost always kind of rough. Yeah. They just are. They're usually super slow and they're wandering. And they're trying to either tell a more emotional story or they're trying to give us so much lore that the, that's why the movie's wandering. That does not happen here. No. At all. They did it. They balanced it perfectly, made it its own great movie while building a universe. Yeah. And also, you do not have to have seen the first one to enjoy this one. I would watch the first one because it's really good, but like literally... There's nothing that you can't instantly pick up on from watching this one if you hadn't seen the first one. The only thing you don't get is the emotional investment in the character of John Wick. Yeah. That's about it. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just watching a kick-ass action movie. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. How many gold coins are we going to give this movie? I'm just going to keep it. Because why the fuck not? What what did we give the last time? Gold coins. Yeah, gold coins. It's perfect. It's still applicable. Yep. 
I'm trying to think what I gave the last one. I think I gave it a four and a half. Oh, no, you did four. I did four and a half. Yeah, I was offended by his hair drapes. We fixed the hair drapes mostly. So we at least got a half point back. Yeah, so, okay, I'm still keeping a half point down for Ruby Rose. Just for that? Everything else works so well. But here's the thing. They wrote the other lady so fucking well. And I feel like they just made her deaf so that she would have something interesting going on. Which is cool. I also like that John Wick knows sign language. Like, that's pretty cool. John Wick knows everything. No, John Wick knows fucking everything. But I do love that they're tricking you for a second into thinking, well, he knows Russian and he knows all these other random languages. Oh, yeah. He also knows sign language. Of course he does. 4.5. But I'm going to go watch it the fuck again. Fuck it. I'm going to do it five. I can't find a reason to fault this movie. She's my only problem. And I can get that. But to me, it's one of those situations where, yes, I would watch it again. I would watch all of them again. And more importantly, because that character kind of blends into the background enough, I just don't care. It's like you're a bad guy that John Mm -hmm. has to fight. And I'm more concerned about the other cool parts of the story. So fuck it. Five. Five gold coins. I'm cool with that. And so I guess that's it for John Wick. Oh, wait. All right. So I know what y'all are thinking. Okay. You just, you just, you just talked about one and two. Where's three? Now, now tell us that you're going to talk about number three. Yeah. Well, guess what? We what? are. Wait, what? We are going to talk about number three. We're going to talk about number three. All right. Now we've watched John Wick. Chapter 3, Parabellum. John Wick is on the run after killing a member of the International Assassins Guild, and with a 14 million price tag on his head, he is the target of hitmen and women everywhere. And now that we've reached the end of the currently released John Wicks, we, we need help. We need help. We need help. So we've called in a John Wick expert. Who is our John Wick expert? It is one of the amazing hosts of one of our favorite podcasts. Cool breeze over the mountains. It is one Andrew Gormley. Hello! Oh my gosh, what an intro. I'm excited. I'm excited to carry the torch. Torch for the Cool Breeze crew. Well, we, lo- we love the Cool Breeze crew. We're, we're loving John Wick. I'm happy to hear In it. fact, your podcast continued endorsement of these films was part of our reasons for being like, we need an excuse to watch all of these because we want to. Which is part of why we did our entire action-packed yeah, summer series. We're like, we need an excuse. Here's our excuse. It's so, like, well, John Wick's going on the list. Sure. All of them. So this is y'all's fault. <laughs> I don't want to say that I started the podcast because of John Wick and just wanting to eventually talk about John Wick. But I'm also not going to say that that was not the reason why. So take from that what you will. Just saying. Just saying. I can see why. It's the culmination of Keanu's entire career. It's pretty crazy, everything that had to happen to fall into place, especially him saying, yeah, well, we have we have talked offline and probably on previous episodes about how he says yes to basically everything. Yep. But for this combination of people to have met and come together so much earlier and then mm-hmm. decided to make a movie together <laughs> with the sensibilities that they did. And then have that be a success, like, it's it's just crazy that we are here, and we're about to get, like, two more in a row. I love it. Yeah. As of the recording of this episode, like, literally two weeks ago, they announced that there will be a John Wick 5 that will be shot simultaneously, or back-to-back, with John Wick 4, which was announced oh. in May of this year. You love to see it. 
You love to see it. <laughs> so, yeah. So we're getting two more. So that makes this movie the very center of a series. A saga. A saga, which uh, I most often hate the middle part of a saga of movies and this film. Well, I'm, I'm not going to go as far to say I hate it. Red flags. Red flags. <gasps> I do not hate this film at all. I want to be very clear. I do not hate this film. <laughs> a ringing because endorsement of John Wick Chapter 3. <laughs> David is going to twist the shit out of my words. But it of the three, it is the weakest, in my opinion. Hmm. Interesting. I agree with you. Okay. <gasps> wow, because you've been giving me the stink eye since I said that when we first watched it. No, because you were, like, really, really down on it the first time. Like... Further down than just the weakest of the three. Originally, what I heard was, I don't really like this one. And that's where I was taking okay. umbrage. All right. That's fair. Let's also mm. let's also remind our guests that after we watched the first one, he's like, I really liked this. I'll never watch it again, but I really liked it. And then I subsequently <laughs> went on to watch it three more times. <laughs> yeah. I have watched one and two as my background TV while editing podcasts. Like, it's that's what these movies have become. Yeah. Three will also become a part of that rotation. Let's be clear. I, mm. It's fine. But it's kind of like Harry Potter 3. I'm not here for it. <laughs> I'm like, I recognize its, its con- contribution to the series. I'm not happy with it. So, obviously, we're very pro John Wick mm-hmm. as a standalone film. Mm-hmm. And we're very pro John Wick 2. Yep. We felt like John Wick 2 did everything John Wick did with a little extra lore and storytelling behind it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing about chapter three. There's all sorts of cool stuff happening, but there's so much of it that at a certain point you start to go, did we really have to do all of this in this movie? No. Yes. <laughs> I mean, okay. It's funny because when we were rewatching it, I actually thought back to our conversation with you, Andrew, about <gasps> Casino Royale. Ooh. We liked everything that was going on in the movie, but there were some things that could have been tightened up. Like we could have shaved about 20 minutes off of it. And I feel like there were a lot of sequences in this film that love it. Why is this still going on? Like, the f- <laughs> like because it's just too long. So it's funny, like the fight scenes in this movie do feel about a minute to two minutes extra. Mm-hmm. than the other ones we've seen. And that's because, like in John Wick, the fight at the Red Circle, there's a big story plot element happening here within that fight. Yes. Yeah. Him progressing through to this has a major objective at the end. Mm-hmm. In this movie, it's not always clear what's at the end of that fight for us. Except necessarily mm-hmm. just surviving and getting to the next plot point. Yeah. Yeah. One of our hosts, Eric, said he feels similarly to the two of you where... Things happen in this movie sometimes twice. Like Eric was like, why yes. did he get branded twice? Why did two different people like lose various functions of their hands or fingers and things like that? And yeah. I, I get it, right? Mm-hmm. But there is like a level of, it's weird to say that this movie makes me like giddy. But from the get, <laughs> he's it's like, we have this countdown and I have this like tension I know how the movie turns out. It's great. I love it, right? But sure. even having rewatched it recently, you know, his last 20 to 30 minutes of like having to figure out what the last things he's going to do are, I still felt nervous watching it. I'm like, I love everything. Agreed. And I, I agree. That I, I love being in this world. 
So I know that they do for this one specifically, they dive all the way in, right? Mm -hmm. Perhaps to a fault. But for me, like I'm already so sold on it where I'm like, Mm -hmm. man, you could just go to like six other continentals in this movie and I'm in for all of them. Yeah. (laughs) Right. But I do see the 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 other side of this coin where people are like, it's a, it's a lot. There's a lot in, there's a lot going on here, but I don't know what it is. I love it. Oh, I I love all that tension in the beginning too. Like that made me happy. I love I love the countdown that reminds yeah. us of what this world is. It's like this is how official this is gonna be. I love seeing all the other assassins like literally check in their watches, being like, <laughs> okay. Because this is not only is this taking down John Wick, who's like our most notorious assassin. Yeah. But the amount of money is insane. John Wick, 14 million. Open contract is now in effect. All services are suspended. And, you know, also Ian McShane just being an asshole. I just I'm never (laughs) not here for that. He's so good. He's so good. You can't be mad at him. You can no. never be mad at him. No. 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 Never mad at him. No, I'm I'm all for that. Going to the dock and then just being like, they're never going to believe that I stopped. So you're going to have to shoot me, shoot me here, shoot me there. And just being like, poop, boom, done. I'm, I am all here for that. But yeah, it's just, I loved going and meeting Sophia. But then it's just like, yeah, your fight with your dogs was cool. I love the dogs. The dogs oh. are awesome. But that, like, that whole thing went on. For so long. <laughs> and we have no satisfying resolution with that character. I, I I, just, I don't feel satisfied with what happened with her. Not really. Which leads to, it feels like they're angling for more movies. That's my problem with this film. The first one had a very distinct ending. The second one, while you can see how the door is clearly left open for a sequel. And it was intended as a trilogy. Sure. At least the second one had a very beginning, middle, end to that story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This one does not. <laughs> at all. <laughs> Which is why I think that makes it weak. It is written as a piece of a bigger story, and I don't like that. See, I wouldn't call it weak. I would call it weaker. You know what I mean? It's weaker than the other two. That's fair. But I mean, there is a distinction in that because I don't want to say that I think that they've done a bad job with this. No, they've not done a bad job at all. Again, with Keanu's hair hair drapes. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Well, the hair drapes are a (laughs) problem. Hair drapes are a problem. Yeah. They're just at the exact wrong length for his face. You, you, You had to knock a little bit of points off on John Wick and John Wick 3 for that. Yeah. Hair drapes, yeah. For the hair yeah, drapes. Hair drapes. They, they're just like the exact wrong length for his face. <laughs> or like, it's just bad. At least in John Wick 2, he could pull it back. He pulled it back more or like he put it behind his ears and like, I can deal with this. And this, no, it's just like, come on, dude. This is just poor. This is just, this is bad. We needed a sequence of him shaving his head. There hasn't been, I mean, the dude's just been killing people nonstop for like three weeks now, though. I mean, he hasn't had time to get the haircut, you know? He had it's time like- to go shopping in John Wick 2. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, shopping, that seems, I don't know. <laughs> I guess they probably had a barber, but what was that guy's side hustle, you know? The tailor. What do they, what do they call him? Right, the, the barber. barber. But that, that's, no, he's just the barber. I mean, no, that's the right. knife guy. It's both. <laughs> right. I mean. But well, that's the, both. Yeah. You go in to get shaved and a haircut and then you pick out your uh, your artillery. I'm here for that. That's a great scene. 
so we have some conflicted feelings because I I would agree there is a giddiness and an energy to it, and I think that's what pulls you through this movie, even sure. when it's mm-hmm. like dragging at some points in the middle. Because for me, that middle part is the weakest. Once we get back to New York, then everything picks back up again. Hmm. Yeah. And so it's that whole middle part where it's like, this is really cool, but I don't really know why we had to. Yeah. And I I did like all the stuff with the adjudicator. I liked that there is like a governing board who's like, you didn't follow the rules. You're getting in trouble now. They've established that there are rules. Now they're setting up the fact that there is a way to enforce those rules. Yes, I'm all about that. Which then allows us, as we go on, to talk about, are we okay with who is enforcing these rules? Yes. Which is awesome. (laughs) Yeah. All right. The budget for this movie was $75 million. It's a nice upgrade. We keep building on the last ones. Mm -hmm. In the US, it made $171 million, and worldwide, it made $326 million. It just keeps growing. Woohoo! I mean, it earned it. It totally did. Every successive movie gains more money than the last. Mm-hmm. So they have they have created an evergreen franchise at this point until they decide they're finally ready to kill the character. Well, there has been talk of the TV show. Oh, the TV show's still in production. Good. I'm very excited about that. Yeah, we'll get in that with the writers, but there are several writers working on The Continental. So Yes. That's all going on as well. Yes, I'm. He- I'm very. I'm very here for that because they because they set up a world. Yes, of course. So even if it's time to retire, John Wick, sure, you can still play in this world however long you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean they've set up that there are continentals probably everywhere. The writing we have four writers on this, so we have Derek Kolstad who. Everything's based on his story. He wrote the story. He wrote the screenplay. He is the guy that is the driving force behind the entire franchise, writing-wise. So we've already given his credits several times. But then we have three other writers involved. We have Shay Hatton, who, you know, he has a lot of stuff in production. This is his first screenplay credit. Mm. So now everything's oh. been kind of shut down. Oh, But he's got announced projects including Army of the Dead, the new Netflix original from Zack Snyder. Mm. Okay. With Dave Bautista. Okay. Ooh, oh, I'm, okay, I'm, I, I'm there. Dave Bautista, I'm in. I, I don't like Zack, but I do like Dave. I love Dave Bautista. Right. I'm conflicted now. <laughs> <laughs> we then have Chris Collins, who is a longtime writer and producer on Sons of Anarchy and The Man in the High Castle. And he is going to be exec producing The Continental and showrunning The Continental. There's going to be a lot more motorcycles in that TV show. (laughs) Which is funny (laughs) because of Keanu. Uh, Well, I mean, Keanu and this film and the prevalence of motorcycles and Sons of Anarchy. (laughs) (laughs) You You know what this franchise needed more of? Motorcycles. <laughs> a lot more. <laughs> and then we have writer Mark Abrams, not the big deal director producer guy, but the writer who is the supervising producer and co executive producer of the Bernie Mac show and Entourage. Wild. Wow. <laughs> okay, that is some weird credits. Well, okay, I'm I'm making some guesses here. Mark Abrams did the punch up. Because there is absolutely did. 
This is the funniest one. This is the funniest one. There are lots of little bits and jokes, and I I applaud them for not going overboard. No. it's And I will, for all three of them, their jokes land so well. All of them. When they mean to be funny, they are fucking hilarious. Yeah. I'm thinking also, my, I'm I'm sure maybe, I hope you two noticed this, because it was, it was my favorite, it was a visual gag, and they, it was just a quick camera shot that lingered for a moment, and mm-hmm. I thought it was the funniest shit in this movie, where they decide to go to war, the adjudicator goes upstairs, checks into her room, they kill the lights, and then the camera pans over the front desk, and it says, the concierge will return shortly, and I was like, this is so good! Yes. <laughs> I love it! Yes. It was just like a nice little touch. I love it. Uh-huh. Yeah. I loved that, like the you know, just the way Keanu delivers the lot. Like when when Sophia says they killed my dog, I I know I get I get, I get it. it yeah I He's get like, it I get it <laughs> like it's just it's so it it's not even like a huge laugh line, but it's just like it's got so much weight behind it. It's so perfect the way they take him to the elder and then just shove him on the ground off the camel. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Just like are great little things. Hope yes. you don't die before you see him. And then this the scene with Zero. I gotta tell you, I've been looking forward to meeting you for a long time. I'm a huge fan. John Wick. And so far you haven't disappointed. Is that the dog? He likes you. Me, I'm more of a cat person myself. Oh my god! It's perfectly acted, like for one, like from beginning to end. Yeah. But then all the words that are said are phenomenal. Just the fact that they throw out in the middle of this very intense sequence. I'm such a huge fan. He's yeah. us. That guy is supposed to be uh-huh. us. He you is. know what I'm saying? It's. I was like, this is like the only villain I don't want to die <laughs> ever. <laughs> right? I'm like, don't kill this guy. He loves you. We love you. So, is is this potentially too many writers trying to do too many different things? Because I feel like Shea Hatton might have just been somebody to help out with the screenwriting with Derek Kolstad, and then Chris mm-hmm. Collins is on the screenplay partially to take over the Continental, because I bet you part of this movie is also helping set that show up. That makes sense from a lore perspective. I feel like... We could fix some of my storytelling problems with a little bit of editing. Like, honestly, <laughs> because I like ev- I like everything they gave me. There's just too much of it. Or it's in a weird place. But I'm not losing that horse scene. That scene fucking cracks me up. Uh, the second we saw the horse, it's like, so I'm just getting kicked in the face by a horse. That's happening. Three times. Three times. <laughs> I was not expecting One how much twice. it happened, but I was so happy with it. It just goes to show, like, it doesn't matter what weapon you put in John Wick's hand, whether it's a knife or a horse, he's going to kill you with it effectively. <laughs> oh, and that that's one of my other favorite things about the series. They make very subtle references to his abilities. Yes. And then they show them. So that whole thing when he goes to the movie theater, or the theater, and they he puts it all stuff and they said, belt two, and you're like, Okay, like I know how that a belt can be used as a weapon, but we've never seen him use it as a weapon. Okay, 
And then later we see him use his belt as a weapon. I love that. It's just like the pencil thing. In John Wick 1, they tell the thing about the pencil. And then in John Wick 2, at the very beginning, he kills a guy with a pencil. You're like, you paid it off! Yay! That is so satisfying to me. Yep. Yeah. Good thing they gave him that belt back in the beginning. Yeah. (laughs) His pants could have fallen down and then he could have not killed Zero. It would have been so bad. Yeah, I just... I can I can see a world in which having this many voices on the screenplay and this many hands on it wrote too much stuff in it's, instead of pairing it back like they had for those other two movies. It's and not, we had mm-hmm. one guy. This isn't too many voices. This is one voice that has has more than one goal. Fair. They're not just writing a movie, they're writing a television show. Yeah. In a movie. That's, that's that's the issue. Having the guy who's going to co-exec produce your television series really speaks to the fact that they're trying to set up a whole bunch of stuff with this movie. Mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not mad with what they set up. No, but it also then, judging it as a standalone film, mm-hmm. that's where it starts to hurt that aspect of it. Well, and I will also say this. For your television show, who whatever you're doing with your TV show... People need to be able to come to your TV show having never seen John Wick and yeah. understand and enjoy it. It should be honestly be able to have nothing to do with whatever happens in these movies and people be able to love and enjoy it on its own. There's almost a part of me that wishes the adjudicator did not talk. Yeah, Just I could see that. the coin across the desk every single time. Because when they first show up, they don't really talk, which is great. But then I feel like, I would I, I would love it if they talk, but we never hear them talk. Uh, there there's something one that would tighten up those scenes, but I would give I, that would give them that much more mystery that I would really enjoy. Uh, the only reason I I think that doesn't work. This is a judge. This is somebody who has to make some kind of pronouncement at some point. Mm-hmm. I really like the way that they're delivering those lines. I think it's important that they speak because. Where I think that does need to happen mm-hmm. is when we finally meet the pe- the members of the high table. That's when I want them to talk. See, I that's, want it the other way. That's when I want the word to us to hear the words because I want us to just see this person shows up. They have this fancy coin, and we see slashes and judgment, and we have we we think they're just taking people out. No, no, I don't think so. I don't know. There's there's a play there that I think could be really enjoyable. I assume a lot about this. It's impossible to know which way the story is going to go. Of course. But by having them talk, you kind of get this sense like, oh, this is also like this weird bureaucracy here. Mm -hmm. And I don't care for it. So like if the next movie is all about going after the high table, which it seems like a potential, (laughs) right? Oh, yeah. We We have grounds here where we're like, John wants to take down this this institution. Like we like the Continentals mm-hmm. from what we get. It's like these are great, but all of this stuff above these are the one percent of the assassins, <laughs> and we don't really care. These are the Jeff Bezos of the of the assassin <laughs> That's world. Fair. We don't care for these people. These are their emissaries. The adjudicator is middle management. Exactly. Oh, to, oh exactly. Agreed. And everything in how they speak. I mean, they're impeccably costumed, fashioned. They're foreboding, but everything in the words they say and the tone they present is middle management. Absolutely. Of, I am here on orders to tell you to do this or you're punished Mm -hmm. in a matter of fact way, which is perfect near the end when it's like, 
okay, the shit has hit the fan. Parlay? Like, clearly, <laughs> we have a problem here. Now I have to solve it. Yeah, absolutely. Call in HR. <laughs> I Like, that, it really is trying to strike that tone with that character. Hmm. Asia Kate Dillon, incredible in the role, though. Just Oh, love Asia Kate Dillon. I'm high on them right now. Some fun tidbits about the writing. The title comes from a few sources. Obviously, the Latin phrase, civis passum parabellum, if you want peace, prepare for war, but also is the product name for the ever-present 9mm handgun cartridges used in this film. Oh, sweet. Mm. Again, one of my favorite touches of these this series is there's no illusion of unlimited ammo. Nope. He is constantly taking guns and ammo from other people. I love it. It makes it makes my logistic heart happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you run out of bullets at the most inconvenient times. God, I'm gonna throw my gun at you. <laughs> right, which would happen. Yeah, it's 100 percent logical. I my heart loves that. I just I I do. I I can't. I can't not. And the phrase parabellum appears three different times in the film. It is tattooed on the back of the ballerina. Okay. Hmm. It is on the door of a bus outside the hotel. The Continental. Okay. And then Winston utters it in his line. Yep. All right. So, directing. And the directing, of course, comes back to Chad Stahelski. All three movies Mm -hmm. will probably direct all five movies because, of course, he will. Mm -hmm. Why why wouldn't he? (laughs) If it ain't ain't broke, you know? Don't fix it, no. This man has proven himself. Yeah. To be a master action director at this point. He's delivered and... I have no problems with the direction at, at at all. There are some quotes from some of the people in the cast and the making of, of this stuff that mm-hmm. are just like have high praise for him. Like big deal filmmaker academy level praise for this guy <laughs> in how he's able to both create just a kick-ass action movie, but also foster so much in between it mm-hmm. with these actors who would probably never do an action movie. Mm-hmm. He knows what it takes. Like, what he's asking of them, he knows what he's asking them to do. That's exactly it. Yeah. Comes from the physical, the physicality of it first. And he's mm-hmm. like, how much can we do to shoot, as you've no doubt <laughs> discussed, like, the long shots in this yep. movie and the second yeah. and the first? It's like, Keanu, how far can we push you? <laughs> how much can you take on, mm-hmm. essentially, <laughs> do, before oh, sure. we have to cut? And it comes through. You're like, Jesus, it's... It's masterful. And they shot things, and I know it's not cut together this way, but I can tell based on some of the choreography that these things were shot as one shots. Mm -hmm. There are many times where they shot things in such a way so that the aim was to try to get it as a one shot sequence, knowing it was never going to be. But we're going to get as close to it as we can with the choreography and the setup. He talks, he talks about it, and we'll get to the whole final fight sequence with the glass. Mm-hmm. But one of the things he said was so the intent. It's not that they wanted to get it in one shot, but it's that they wanted to do it without special effects. Yeah. Which requires yeah. that level of coordination. Sure. And that is his goal in a lot of these scenes, is how much can we do without having to dive into SFX? Mm-hmm. Knowing that at some point, there's going to be a shot that we just can't do physically. Oh, sure. And then we'll augment where we need to. That's how they can get by on such slim budgets, j- mm-hmm. up until this point, at least. Yeah. But then when yep. they get more money, they're like, 
how about we train two German shepherds for 10 months to be brutal killing machines <laughs> and they will interact in this ballet of murder that's happening. It's crazy. And let's just destroy this many motorcycles. Let's just ruin them all. <laughs> and a single tear falls down Keanu's face. <laughs> um, That's an interesting note. They're non-German shepherds. They're Belgian Malinos. Mm. Oh. Okay. okay. They're they're a specific kind of they're a specific kind of dog that are normally trained for police work. <laughs> I actually heard you pushed your glasses up. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, he's t- he's he's doing the little hands <laughs> thing too. Uh-huh. And yeah. I would throw my koosh ball at him, but I need Maybe my koosh Charles ball. Charles Nolan will ask me that, and I'll have to answer <laughs> now. So that's actually pretty good. That's well, the bas- kind of thing Charles Nolan would ask. Charles Nolan would t- like half the shit David's going to tell you here. Like we're basically giving you all the answers. It's to true. That shit. I get a free pass for this next episode. I'll have, with great power comes great response. Oh, that's not John Wick. I, uh, wrong franchise. Continue. Continue. <laughs> the Casablanca scenes are a direct homage to the classic film of the same name. Because Rick's place was the inspiration for the Continental. Whoa. Okay. That's pretty cool. From Stahelski, quote, that's where we first got the idea that all assassins would go to one place all over the world, their only refuge from the dangers Mm -hmm. of the street. I love that. Which makes sense. All the resistance fighters going to Casablanca to get away from the Nazis. Mm -hmm. Even if Nazis came in, they knew they'd be safe. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I like I like that as being as why that's why they picked that other location. That's perfect. Smart. It's got levels, man. They thought of everything. But filming in Morocco did cause some issues, namely the thousand feral cats roaming the streets at night. <laughs> That'd do it. So they hired thirty cat wranglers. Thirty. <laughs> built houses for the cats at night and fed them, and then set them free back in the morning. Perfect. Okay. Everyone wins. I really love how humanely the John Wick franchises treats animals. Oh, yeah. Yes, of course. Like, it's all about the puppers and the cats. But, like, that's off screen. But, like, on screen, I'm like, again, with the whole horses, I was like, ain't nothing fucking happened to those horses. If he's gonna, if all this started with the dog, those horses are gonna be just fine. But someone's getting kicked in the face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> If anything, those horses have never been more safe in their lives. Exactly. Than they are around John Wick. This is a very humane, like, movie franchise. Like, anim- animal humane. Like, it's not people humane at all. No. People <laughs> are the worst, but animals are the best. <laughs> they, they are safe. That's how John Wick ends. He opens an animal sanctuary. <laughs> nice. In, in Helen's name. Yeah. That's how it oh. should end. <laughs> Helen Animal Sanctuary. All this, all this over a puppy? Was it just a puppy? You know what? Just a puppy. They always diminish his motivations. It's crazy. <laughs> Every single subsequent movie, they're like, this is about a puppy or a car. It's like, dude, you don't know anything about John Wick. I just wanted to go, I have principles, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> principles. They purposefully incorporated group fights as opposed to one-on-one fights in this film because Wick is a marked man with the potential to face a variety of different fighting styles. Hmm. So it's like a win-win story-wise and action-wise. Fair. I'm into that. And now we get to our cast. And of course, we start off with a man we've talked about for three movies now, Keanu Reeves as John Wick. Mm -hmm. We're not talking about his credits. We've talked about it two times already. And even if we tried, Andrew would be like, you're wrong. You're leaving them out. 
Top 10 Keanu movies right here. Let's go. John Wick Chapter 1. John Wick Chapter 2. <laughs> That's true, though. <laughs> I know. <laughs> what do we think of Keanu in this film? I mean, hair drapes. Okay. Get past it. <laughs> I couldn't not, okay? <laughs> I just, I mean, come, like, this is me. Like, this is what I do. I'm going to steal that off you. I'm going to bring that up in our discussion of it as well. He's <laughs> for his hair in this film too much it'll be they'll be like wait what who are you you can just tell them i've been talking with diana that'll explain everything (laughs) whitney knows me listen (laughs) she's familiar with my demeanor exactly exactly (laughs) i will say i enjoy how tired he is in this movie he does i was about to say if there's one thing he really does seem tired which is exactly how he should be. He would be so exhausted. We've never seen him actually. I mean, we've seen him sleep one time, I think, at the end of the, the second one. Maybe he goes back and he takes a takes a little cat nap and then right right back into it. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. We talk about this a lot where this is a great series for him. This is going to sound like a backhanded compliment, but it's it's really not meant to be. It's like he doesn't have a lot to say. No. Uh, which is a good thing. Yes. Because he is very expressive when given proper motivation. Mm-hmm. So his eyes and his facial expressions and this, this, as Whitney always calls it, his inner dialogue says so much mm-hmm. without him actually having to to do much. And for whatever reason, he has resonated in such an unique way with this particular character that we haven't really seen in a while and i'm saying that having watched his past (laughs) six movies or whatever we have not seen this in a while (laughs) so it's it's really cool to just that that final fight sequence where he's not before the let's call him the final boss right zero Mm -hmm. where he's fighting the two guys right and there's that kind of mutual respect where they're like it's still John Wick. And they go to help him up. They like go to help him up and he puts up his hands. He's like, I got it. I got it. And that just those little movements convey so much. Angelica Houston, of all people, had the quote, Keanu really understands silence as well as action like few people do. Yeah. Yeah. He's (gasps) he does so much with saying nothing. And you can tell that he is a person who is comfortable with silence. Yes. And few <laughs> actors are. Yeah. And I think that having a character like John Wick, that his character has to be so active that not having words is of co- is definitely to his benefit. That would get in the way of his character. Yeah. I feel like this creative team n- has known that about this character and they very much got the exact right actor to pull that off. Well, because they'd worked with him for so fucking long. Sure, uh, sure. the director worked yeah. with him. There was his, he was a stunt double. Yeah, knowing that sure. he has doubled for him since the fucking Matrix, man. Sure, but again, just because you write a role for someone doesn't mean they're gonna say yes. Yeah. And another actor might have been like, y'all gotta give me more. And I, I just, you can, I can never see Keanu being like, no. Like, uh, okay, if that's what you want me to do, that's what I'm going to do. Pretty much. Keanu started training four months before filming began with more martial arts, more gunplay, motorcycles, horses, and dogs. There were tons of intense training and new stuff they had to do. But Keanu definitely loved the challenge of it. When asked if he did his own stunts for getting hit by the cars, he said, well, I would have, but you know, hospital. I could have maybe done it once, but that would have been it for me. (laughs) 
It's a pretty good Keanu impression. I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. It's tough to nail him because he's, it's not super distinct, but yeah, all right. He was already trained in horseback riding, so Stahelski decided to use that for the film. Keanu's not on a horse very often. Mm, no, it needs but to he happen can more. do it. It needs to happen more. It's very attractive. <laughs> Put him in a fucking Western. He would be great in a Western. Oh, man. Oh, 310 to Yuma talks. style film? Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, Keanu came up with the idea for the adjudicator as a character. Nice. Mm-hmm. I believe that. And when John gets knocked down during his fight with the Shinobi, he was supposed to get right back up, but Keanu stumbled, tired from shooting that day. But he plays it off, and that made the final cut. Love it. Nice. (laughs) Keanu's got some improv in him. He's a a a professional. He's such a professional. Yeah. I think what it is, is once you get him comfortable with a character, because, like, we haven't gotten that chance to see him with, like, this recurring character that he's gotten to play over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Once you get him comfortable with the character, then he can play stuff off and riff with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's the like Matrix- Ted. He can riff on Ted. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. But like the Matrix wasn't an arena to do that in. No, but this is. Yeah, this totally is. Yeah. If you think about the Matrix 2, that progression, mm-hmm. as those movies went on, we got further away from Neo, right? Like in that third film, there was not he was not in that movie a whole lot. It was lots of other mm-hmm. folks with stakes yeah. in that film as well. And he had to kind of hone in on this Messiah thing <laughs> that for better or worse he was funneled down into, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas this, when they take these little tangents for other characters like the adjudicator mm-hmm. or Zero or Winston even, I'm like, "Oh, they they've set these characters up in such a nice way that it's okay that I'm, we're not watching John right now." I, totally. I actually like all these other people just as much. For better or worse, with like the storytelling aspect, they do such a good job with what they give us of the other characters. In in terms of like you let ev- like the setting and what's happening and the costumes tell us so much. Mm-hmm. Like I don't need to know anything else about Zero. You've told me so much from the few snippets we got this mo- the the series of movies is completely show don't tell and that's what makes it so great yeah it's absolutely it's, it's very absolutely. good all right we move on to Halle Berry as Sophia you might remember her from a little film called Die Another Day <laughs> oh oh yeah i forgot about <laughs> that. i would know Halle Berry from <laughs> well you know we did bond so it got covered hey, i know look it is not Halle Berry or Denise Richards's fault that those characters were bad because they mm. acted their asses off in those movies. Fair. They really yeah. did. They sure did. You watch Denise yeah. Richards in The World Is Not Enough again, it's like she was doing everything she could for that character. Mm-hmm. It was just that shitty a character. Yep. Yeah. Can't save it. You can't, you can't <laughs> save it sometimes. <sighs> Before this, she was in Jungle Fever, Strictly Business, The Last Boy Scout, Boomerang, The Program, The Flintstones, Executive Decision, Baps, Bullworth, X-Men, Swordfish, Monsters Ball, Catwoman, X-Men, The Last Stand, Things We Lost in the Fire, New Year's Eve, Cloud Atlas, X-Men Days of Future Past, Extant, Kidnap, and Kingsman, The Golden Circle. This is her most recent role, mm-hmm. and she will be in two new films, Bruised and Moonfall, which will be coming soon. Okay. What do we think of Halle Berry in this movie? Goddess, you know? Uh, I mean... I loved her in the X-Men films. I thought she was like a badass. I thought Storm was always really cool. I like getting to see her be a badass like that now, especially since I know she's in her 50s. Yeah. Which I think is also, again, she's a woman of color. She's in her 50s. She gets to be 
equally a badass to Keanu. And her and yes. and her character has enough meat behind it, unlike what we saw with like mm-hmm. Die Another Day. Sure. Where she's able to be confident in that. Yeah. And she's got so much agency. So like she's like no, no damsel bullshit. And yeah. while I don't feel like her character was very well resolved in this film, they gave me enough information about her relationship with John for me to be like, she's cool. I want, I wish there was more of her. Yeah. Yeah. Like she's, she's a badass. I mean, we've already seen the implications of like what you do to earn a marker, mm-hmm. but like the, the consequences of like engaging in that agreement with sure. another assassin. Mm-hmm. And when he pres- like, you know, gets the marker at the end of the second one. You're like, oh, shit. Who owes him some- Who owes him a terrible favor? Like, oh, shit. And then yeah. it's like the- it's one of the only things in his pocket when he goes to the theater. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, my God, it's going to pay off in such a big way. Mm-hmm. And it-, it does. And it's I mean, he, he does it in a much more honorable way. True. Totally. <laughs> you know, than Santino. But there was a lot there. Mm-hmm. I think we can. They left it open for her to potentially come back. More story there. It's, sure. It's, it's great. Yeah. I, I do hope we see her again in, you know, in four or five. Let's not, like some of the other characters we're going to talk about. I hope I see them too. I hope we don't get them too sandwiched together in all of them. Yeah. I hope we get to spread now that we've seen them all in three in the middle part. We get to spend more time with them in organic ways. She broke three ribs making the movie. <gasps> okay. Bound to happen. But she had to train specifically on her endurance because of Chad's long takes, she says, it's essential to have really good cardiovascular stamina to be able to do lots of moves at once and then do them over and over. I also wanted to show I could keep up with Keanu Reeves, which is no easy deal. (laughs) She did it. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. She was a huge fan of the first two. Awesome. And... When the role came open, she was lobbying hard and Chad warned her. It was like, this is the amount of training you're going to have to do to make this film. She was like, "Mm -mm, I don't care. I do not fucking care. They did not have a finished script. And she said, fuck it. I'm in. I would have done the same thing. (laughs) I I, I hate working out and I would do it for something like this. Oh, my God. To to get to do that, I'd be like, (laughs) I'm in. I'll do it. You're like, fine. I'll do it. Including she trained for six months. With the dogs to <gasps> film all of her sequences. She did? The puppers? So there are five different dogs that portray the two dogs in the film. Okay. They were trained by Andrew Simpson, who also trained the dire wolves in Game of Thrones. Okay. Mm. But the dogs and Hallie were all training on a new unique style of dog martial arts created by Chad Stahelski for the film. <laughs> dog martial <laughs> arts. Yes. Uh-huh. Stahelski actually wanted to use dogs in John Wick 2, okay. but they had scheduling conflicts and weren't able to get that written into the script. Oh, okay. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, John Wick's going to have to train his dog in dog martial arts. Yeah. I watched an interview with Keanu where he said that one of the stipulations of these dogs is like he couldn't actually look them in the eye because they took that as a sign of aggression. So anytime you see him like looking at one of the dogs... The eye line is actually like at the dog's ears, not oh, in okay. the eye. That yeah. makes it's sense. Pretty, pretty wild. If you ever find like those German police videos where they're showing the dog training stuff, that's these dogs, yeah. these Belgian Malinois. Like, Ooh. okay. They're vicious. So by the time filming began, Simpson told Keanu they treat Hallie as their trainer now. Oh. 
Yeah, all right. And so having Hallie be able to call the commands instead of having an off-screen trainer, which is what you normally would do, mm-hmm. meant that they had like exponential yeah. freedom in how they could shoot that whole sequence. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They when trust she yells her? for the dogs, she is the one calling the dogs. That's, That's awesome. That is really cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, but that one where she calls the dog and she bends over and the dog uses her to jump up. I was like, that's so badass. Yep. And they trained on that shit. I know. That is so cool. <laughs> fly, pupper, fly. <laughs> and according to Hallie, Malinois are super smart and fiercely loyal. But at the same time, they like to play, which made it fun. The sweetest part of my training day was always hanging out with the dogs. See, okay, again, going to the gym would be worth it if then I got to play with doggies. <laughs> she had to work out all day, but then every day she got to go play with the puppies. And then you yeah, get- Throw the ball. And then you yeah. get to hang out with Keanu Reeves and you get millions of dollars. This uh-huh. is the biggest it's... win ever. And you don't ever get attacked by the dogs. You get to sick the dogs on other people. I know. Right. <laughs> this is the best- Put them in the balls. Do it. This is the best job ever. <laughs> Uh, I found my dream job. Who could have been better? Hmm. Jennifer Beals. Eva Longoria. Hmm. A producer on the first film. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Salma Hayek. Penelope Cruz. Marion Cotillard. Uma Thurman. Marissa Tomei. Marissa Tomei? Aunt May. Hot Aunt May, yeah. I love love the resurgence in her career recently. (laughs) Uh, She's awesome. Oh, who... Who's the first name you said again? Jennifer Beals. Okay, I love Jennifer Beals. Yeah. Even though I hated her character on The L Word, she was awesome in that show. <sighs> huh. Yeah. I like Uma. No. Eh, we've she's already seen, done this. We've, yeah, we've seen her do this. Yeah. Ava uh, Longoria. That's true. I want to yeah. see Ava Longoria play a badass, because I think she could pull it off. I want to see her play a badass, but I don't... I don't know that I'd like her in this. I don't know. I think Halle Berry's the perfect choice. She... Yeah, she's awesome. When you're doing your dream casting, it's tough to think of anybody else, really. Like, and I know it's like hindsight and all that stuff, but yeah, it's tough. It would be super tough. She's so good that, and and all these other ladies are fabulous actresses. But the only reason I'm I'm hedging just a little bit on Jennifer Beals is because I also really like her, but she's also similar age and a woman of color. So I, yes. I like I like seeing woman of this age range and a woman of color. So that's the only way I'm like, I don't want to lose that. I look at all these women, too, and I just go, there is like one thing about how you act that just isn't quite right that Halle Berry does better. Mm-hmm. 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 And I think that's why. Halle's, Halle just did it all so well. Yep. All right. We have two returning actors, Ian McShane as Winston and Lawrence Fishburne as the Bowery King. Uh-huh. And why not? Let's throw in Lance Reddick as Sharon. Yes. You gotta. Three awesome, awesome people. The only time in the movies thus far in which Sharon's name is actually spoken. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Just in a blink and you miss it kind of moment. It's thrown out there. Right at the beginning of the damn movie. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So cool. How do we feel about this trio in the movie? I mean, you might have listed off other people that that were up for these roles, and I would shoot them all down because there's no one else other than these people. It's nuts. Ian is just like his character is meant to be very polarizing mm-hmm. in a, but like still hugely likable. And it's such a balance. It's like a balance that only this Ian McShane could pull off. Truly, that's his sweet spot. Yeah, where you're like 
this guy's an asshole, but I like him. It's very <laughs> Al Swearingen. It's uh, especially yeah, it's in this movie. In the other movies, he's been really refined, mm-hmm. but like he's facing down some mortal consequences. Yes, and it's this whole thing, especially at the end, where you're like, "God, I hate you for what you just did." But also, yeah. as Sharon points out, there's no better way you could have played this. Like, this is Absolutely. business. And also, you know you didn't kill him. Like, yeah. yeah like, we all know that. You did. You was... you you got real damn close, but you know he's alive. Which is pr- a different. You're biting your time. Problematic for the storytelling. I didn't like that. <laughs> but he's amazing. Yep. Yeah, he's that asshole that you just can't not like. And the fucking Bowery King. I could have a whole movie about just the fucking Bowery King. Just the construct of the Bowery King makes me so happy. Just holding up that pigeon being like... With pigeons. Yes, you see rats with wings. But I see the internet. No IP addresses. No digital footprint. Can't track it. Can't hack it. Can't trace it. Can you get disease from it? Well, I wouldn't recommend that you eat it the hell do you want it's just uh, only Lawrence fishburne can give you that line and mm-hmm. and make it like that's what i feel like ian mcshane can give us exposition that is clearly exposition and mm-hmm. you're like i'll take it from this character but anybody else i'd be like why are you explaining to me i don't like this <laughs> and the same with Lawrence fishburne like when he goes for it like mm-hmm. not in this film but it's, I specifically remember in the second one when he's like, will somebody get this man a gun? Yeah. He, like, just he sings it. He's like, it's like the stage. And I, oh, it's so good. It's so good. The thing about his character is that he appears to be of a low station. Yeah. But in his mind, he's the king of the fucking world. So when he talks like that, that is what he's projecting. And that's what makes him so entertaining. And then on a third level, underneath that, you can see just the calculating chess moves he's trying to make. Right. Yeah. So, so, and that's part of why he, at least in his mind, and he is a threat. So like, I can see the, the, the world of the continental, the high table being like, you're not really a part of us. But you like you're like an unsanctioned group. <laughs> well, it's if we piss you off, you can overtake you can, us. You can you can hurt us. So it is in our best interest not to fuck with you. But you better not fuck with us. It's the one percent versus the ninety nine. It, it, it really, really is. It like, really like is. you that's brought what up the man. Bowery King is, and that's it's totally that's awesome. And I I mean I loved his reveal in the second one because he wasn't in the first one. Um, so that was great. And that was, you know, a fun little Matrix moment. You're like, mm, this felt earned. This is fair. Oh, another face we know from the Matrix. I love it. I so love many. It. Like, it's it's a little meta, but I'm fine with it. It's it's not Hugo Weaving. We're fine. <laughs> and then we've talked about Sharon. I think the other cool thing that we, we just haven't talked about yet is the fact that Sharon gets to get in on the fight. It's it's a great oh. payoff for, for... And it's awesome. For, for Lance Reddick, because he's a phenomenal actor, and I like that his character got to do. He gets to do, and it's just that thing of, if you've seen Sharon throughout these movies, you could be convinced it's like, he might just be a non-combatant. His job may be to just be a concierge. And then you see him with the guns is like, uh-uh, he's fucking ready. Actually, you know what? Yeah. I, I had this theory before this movie that he was actually the real person in charge and that he runs the front desk 
and says that he is the concierge as his way of keeping an eye on everything. That's entirely possible. And that Winston was the books and figurehead guy, but that it's really (laughs) him who's in charge of everything. That would not shock me. That could still be true. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And I'm here for that. (laughs) I would. Well, yes, of course. I hope that's the continental show we find out. Maybe. That could be also that could be part of how Winston gets in trouble. I would love it if that's true and Winston doesn't know that. That would be so cool. That would be yeah. Like the high table is actually all the concierge. <laughs> <laughs> they were right in front of us the Ooh. whole time. We've already met two other ones. I know what movies we rented. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> There was the moment, and it was a great moment between the three of them, where the Continental is stormed. They go out. They realize, just like a video game, oh, these these enemies are harder. They're, yeah. They're, they have bulletproof armor. And like very frustrated, uh-huh. John and Sharon come back into the vault where Winston's just having like a Merlot. Yeah, or some he's shit. just drinking. And they like with the dog. Like Sharon, he takes his jacket off. He's like pissed, but again, he doesn't say anything. It's just like John, where he's like he just walks over to the bullets. He's like, I'm a piercer, and you're like, oh, I love this so much. <laughs> and Winston's just like, have at it. Here it is, boys. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. He has the remote control for the vault door as they leave. So and just, funny. Whoop. He's, he's great. It's so cute. We've yeah. talked about them a lot. Asia Kate Dillon as the adjudicator before this. Orange is the New Black and Billions. After this, mm-hmm. the outside story. Okay. I mm. I mean, I, I love them. They're, yeah. they're yep. phenomenal. Mostly got this role after they saw them on Billions and thought they'd be perfect for this adjudicator role. Yeah. So. yeah. One thing, I'll, I'll say this, uh, and this is not an original thought of mine, but this is I'm echoing something Whitney said. The way that they have pretty seamlessly integrated a great diversity of people into this world in a way that doesn't feel forced. It feels very natural. Like we have all the secretaries who work on behalf and they're, you know, kind of like alt model Mm pinups, but of various ages. As long as you wear the uniform, you're good to like be a part of this network. it's, It's worth mentioning that I think they kind of go above and beyond to make sure that there is representation in these films and it's it's like oh it's so good and when it comes together so beautifully you're like yep this is how you do it it's true oh yeah and then finally mark dacascos as zero (laughs) now mark dacascos is a very interesting guy his film credits would not lend you to like understand who this guy is (laughs) but you're gonna list them anyway i'm gonna list them because there are some that are Instantly recognizable. Before this, he was in American Samurai, Only the Strong, Double Dragon. There it is. Wing Commander for The Price of Freedom, which I believe I've played on PC before. <laughs> yeah. Here's a crazy one. The Brett Michaels. Yes, that Brett Michaels. Written uh-huh. and directed Charlie and Martin Sheen film, No Code of Conduct. Mm. Which, if you ever need a bad movie night, holy crap, that one sounds amazing. Mm. Brett Michaels of Poison makes a movie with the Sheens? I'll just go watch Rock of Love instead. I just... And then he is Eric Draven in the Crow Stairway to Heaven television show. Okay. As the Crow. Oh, I remember that. Brotherhood of the Wolf, Cradle to the Grave with DMX. (laughs) Yep. And then, where you probably know him from... The chairman on Iron Chef America, 
and the next Iron Chef. That's the one. He has a full head of hair in that, and the li- <laughs> yeah. He still has a full head of hair. I'm yeah. pretty sure this is a bald cap. Or he shaved mm. it. Whatever. Or he shaved it. One of the two. But yeah, no, he has a full head of hair as a person. And then he's also been, he had a run on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in Hawaii Five-O, and he will be in an upcoming animated film, which looks really cool, called Batman Soul of the Dragon. Ooh. It is a Batman story featuring prominently Asian actors. Oh, cool. So, okay. what do we think of Mark Dacascos in this movie? He's so cool. This is a guy who has spent his entire career as a martial artist, mm-hmm. first and foremost. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so all of the movies he's done are heavy martial arts, Mm -hmm. straight to video type movies, Mm -hmm. but he's been such like a big, like he's a leading actor in these movies. Yeah. This is finally a chance for him on a huge stage to get to show off that he really is that good. Yeah. In the United States. I mean, like, okay, so everyone knows him as a chairman. He's just this goofy guy who scowls at people while they cook. Well, and he's Hawaiian. (laughs) He is an American. I know. But that's how people know him in the United States. Yeah. But like, he's so perfect. Oh, yeah. Because he's like, when we first meet him, he clearly understands what needs to be done. He's here for it. He's honored by get- the getting the assignment to kill John Wick. He thinks this is amazing. And then we get that scene where he's a fanboy. Yep. And he plays all of it so perfectly. He plays the comedy of it and then like that human element of it. Like even when he's dies, he's like, um, I'll be I'll I'll be seeing you. Like I'll I'm an, I'll I'll catch up with you. Like I yeah, like sure. Like he's just like, no, no, like this isn't happening. It's so well done. Yeah. And then you factor that in with the fact that like he is maybe the most Purely talented and skilled martial artist on that set. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's huge. Yeah, one of the things he talked about was he very much viewed this as a psychotic character who had just oh, yeah. immensely quick shifts in tone and feel. Yeah, mm. but here's the coolest thing about that: he mirrored his fighting style to reflect that. He says, "quote He has a broken rhythm. Well, he'll be smooth, then suddenly frantic. It's great when you can put so much character." Into the physical movement. Sure. Did he choreograph? He didn't choreograph those scenes, but in how he's fighting, he is trying to vary up his moves to make it reflect the internal turmoil of his character, (laughs) which is just like fascinating. That's awesome. That is some next level stuff. Yeah. You know, that's a guy who knows what he's doing. It's a guy who knows what he's doing. And Keanu is on record saying like having this guy on set pushed me that much harder. Yeah. It's very clear that Keanu is a fan of of the people that he works with, mm-hmm. especially as it relates to martial arts. You can, there are videos of him just talking about martial arts for an hour, mm-hmm. which is great. And then he he had directed Man of Tai Chi, which was like a wonderful and surprisingly competent martial arts film. Mm-hmm. Like it's the one thing that Keanu has ever directed. He has not directed anything before or since, and it was. I was shocked at how much I, I I loved it. And it was by virtue of him just loving martial arts. Mm. So to probably have like a guy like Mark on set, I, I could totally see Keanu being like, oh shit, I gotta <laughs> I gotta hit the gym for an extra hour or two, you yeah. know, catch up with this guy. It's cool. Well, it's Keanu's just that person who has reverence for things. So he's yeah. just like, I wanna make sure you know that I respect you and what you bring to this this movie. So 
Yep. That's it's, so good. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's all there. They, it's all on the screen. You, you, yeah. They picked the perfect guy to come in to be this this rival. Their their casting is for all of these movies has been spot on. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I I just I wouldn't I wouldn't trade anybody really. <laughs> we move on to Arpons, which we will r- relatively quickly go through. Angelica Houston as the director, a goddamn fucking legend. Yep. Yep. Saeed Tagmoi as the elder. You would know him from Lost and Wonder Woman most recently. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Jerome Flynn as <laughs> Barada. It's fucking Braun, everybody. In Game of Thrones. <laughs> In a very different role. I liked it. No, it's not that different. It's not. Same voice, same everything. It's all, always concerned with gold. It's all the same. Not the same voice at all. It's right, got a I mean, very thick Mediterranean accent going on here. Tonality. I'll, I'll go with tonality. There you go. Yeah. We have Randall Duke Kim returning as the doctor. Robin Lord Taylor as an administrator. Of course, the penguin from Gotham. And he was also in Walking Dead. Okay. Jason Manzukis as the TikTok man. Dennis Feinstein, Adrian Pimento, Derek Hofstetler. <laughs> yep. Need I say more? Triple threat. Triple threat. Quadruple threat, as it were. <laughs> Fun fact, he joked about getting cast in the John Wick series on how did this get made while reviewing the movie Johnny Mnemonic. <laughs> yeah. Fun. Uh, ah! He's the best. Unity Phelan as the ballerina, the first ballerina we see. She's a principal at the New York Ballet, but stated that the ballet scenes were incredibly true to life. She said, quote, I'm especially excited to see ballet depicted as being an intense, an art form as martial arts, warrior training. Tyler Peck, as the ballet choreographer, she did also do the choreography for the film. Um, She's a longtime ballet star and also has a role in Donnie Darko, of all movies. And I I follow her on Instagram. She had a documentary about a ballet, a dance show she put on and she choreographed basically the whole thing on hulu called ballet now and it's very very good she also was the consultant for black swan mm-hmm. so oh there you go we have boban marjanovic as Ernest in the <laughs> yeah. library this giant he gets he killed per- by a book he gets killed <laughs> by a book <laughs> brutally oh he is currently a dallas maverick wait what yeah yeah. And before that was with the Philadelphia 76ers. That's that. Yep. I knew that. Well, I knew that part because uh, that's that's my haunt right there. Right there. I knew he was a basketball player. I didn't realize he was a Dallas Maverick. He is this year. He's a Mav. Damn. Yeah. Uh, this is his only Just, film role. That's cool. <laughs> Just look at him hold a basketball. And uh, I mean, yeah, totally. He, next to Keanu, you're like, that's, that's a big motherfucker. But when you see him hold a basketball, it's crazy. As of last year, he was like the second tallest NBA player. Okay. Yeah. It's not natural. Yeah. He's seven foot four. Like he is a giant. He's seven four. Wow. Yeah. He is a a certified giant. Jeff G. Waxman as the New York taxi driver that John gives the coin to. He is the executive producer of John Wick 2 and 3. (laughs) Okay. Oh, hells yeah. Along with exec producing a lot of other movies. Get that cameo. Yeah. Yeah, he gets the pupper where it needs to go. Yeah. That's good. And finally, good Roger Yuan as Wong. He's a legendary stuntman and also was a bodyguard in Skyfall. Mm. Ah, okay. Okay. In the dragon pit scene with oh, okay. what's her face. He's one of the main bodyguards. Okay. With the CGI dragons. So we have talked about him before. Okay. Cool. Trivia. 
trivia. John Wick swapping of the revolver and listening for the right clicking is a direct reference to a former episode feature, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. And I totally called that. You when we did, were in which it. Tuco assembles a revolver to his taste in the gunsmith shop. I didn't. I, <laughs> nice. I didn't call that it was Tuco. I was just like, hey, this is the thing that happens in that movie. Yep. <laughs> it counts. The glass structure where John Wick's climactic fight takes place cost four million dollars to construct, and they broke it all. <laughs> yeah they kicked john through one million dollars worth of it <laughs> yeah. so, sure. so every time they just, i was like this is the part of the game where you're supposed to break everything <laughs> according to mark dacascos during the final fight a few people actually ran into the glass not knowing where it was and dacascos said this is a fighter a glass that is very spooky because you can't hide anything technically mm, yeah Stahelski attempted to film the entire sequence without effects, we talked about that, relying on choreography, lighting, and camera angles, so the design had to sync with the action. Mm. However, it is fairly clear that they are not getting hit into the glass, but throwing themselves into the glass cases, <laughs> because if you watch, their kicks are not connecting. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that is one sequence where, if you're watching for it, you're like, oh no. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just like, I know you're supposed to break this. Like, that's what's happening. But then again, it is fun watching grown men throw themselves into things and shattering them. It's true. <laughs> yeah. You're like, wow, how many more of these are they going to do? And then it's it's a lot more, it turns yeah, out. A lot. All of them. And then he gets his revenge. I'm like, okay, perfect. Perfect. <laughs> We're even. The Indonesian actors and fighters appearing as Shinobi in the climax revealed that their Indonesian dialogue was not written in the script. Oh. So all of that stuff where they're, like, breaking up the fight, Stahelski wanted to add something into it because it was such a long fight. So he wanted to break it up by having them just throw in some dialogue. Mm. And so that's where the whole, man, he's John Wick. Isn't that fucking cool? Like, all that stuff (laughs) they came up with and translated it into Indonesian. Oh, that's cool. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's a pleasure to fight with you, Mr. Wick. Exactly. Yeah, I love the reverence of that whole, it's so cool all around. So then Keanu said, well, if you're doing that, I have to leave a parting line in Indonesian. Fair, he does. (laughs) Because I know how to speak every language. He does. His signature line. So he talked with them and say... Can you somehow translate be seeing you? Yep. They came up with something that roughly got there, and then he practiced the line over and over so that when they got to that shot, he could say it perfectly. Mm-hmm. It's great. I mean, it's a great payoff. <laughs> it's so worth I it. I do. I love it. And I mean, like, they did it in the other ones, like when he did it in sign language. I love that construct. Yep. Mm-hmm. And... Those Indonesian fighters are using karambits, a classic fortune and fire weapon and favorite of Doug Markaida. I love Doug Markaida. <laughs> we also love forged and fire. It's a problem in our house with how much we love it. <laughs> the Russian book in the library that John picks up is Ruskia Narodnia Skatsky, or Russian Fairy Tales, by Alexander Afanasyev, a standard collection of Russian fairy tales in the vein of the brothers Grimmer Hans Christian Andersen. That book also contains the first known tales of the Baba Yaga. <laughs> oh, shit. So That's there's amazing. a very specific reason they chose that book. I love Layers. that. 
And of course, John Wick flawlessly pronounces the title and author while at the library. Of course he does. <laughs> the ballet that is performed is titled Tale of Two Wolves, which is a direct reference to the indigenous proverb, possibly of Cherokee or Lenape origin, of having two wolves, a good and evil wolf, fighting inside yourself. The wolf that wins is the one that you feed. Oh, okay. Hmm. The adjudicator is staying in room 217 of the Continental, the original room from The Shining, which was adapted to room 237 for the film. Mm-hmm. When John runs up the stairs to the library, a quartet is singing Frank Stallone's Take Me Back, which is an homage to the Rocky franchise, since this is the only time that that song has been heard with that arrangement outside of the Rocky movies. Interesting. That quartet is <laughs> wow. singing the song that the guys at the trash can sang in Rocky. Fun. Also, Rocky, a franchise whose middle part I loved. <laughs> hmm. just, just saying it. Rocky 3 was great, man. So was Rocky 4. Ooh, right. Revisit them. <laughs> Do it. It's They're it. all really good. It's, it's, it's a journey that's worth right. it. Okay. The opening of the movie is structured very similarly to The Warriors, with John running around New York City to get away with would-be assassins, and the operator acting in the role of the DJ in The Warriors narrating his attempts to survive the city. Oh, okay. That is super fun, and not something I... Um, I mean, unless somebody said that outright, I don't... It would be very hard to put those two things together, but now that, you know, they're right next to you, like, oh, got it, got it. It's IMDb, so you know. Yeah, hey. I, somebody caught that. I, I buy it. Yeah. And the line be seeing you is a standard line from Patrick McGowan in the classic UK, The Prisoner. Huh. Okay. Okay. And that is John Wick 3. It's John Wick 3? I'm sorry. John Wick colon chapter 3 dash parabellum. Right. Gotta get the function. Gotta get the whole <laughs> title there. <laughs> Can't wait to see how many words the fourth one. Good God. Are they, the trend that they have, it's like they're going to have to do like a colon dash paren... No, the fourth one is going to be volume four, and then whatever Latin phrase they use in that one, that's the title. Internal bracket Uh, in the paren. Like, whatever, like, fortune favors the bold, Eventually, it's just going to be a Fiona Apple album title. (laughs) No, that's five. It'll just ellipse out when the pawn done. No, five is going to be (laughs) J-W-V. Holy shit. Which, no, that's the fucking teaser poster. That's fucking great. I'm amazing. I will collect my money, please. (laughs) Money, please. All right. (laughs) Mona Lisa. All right. When we get there, we're going to have to uh, uh, evaluate it. But for our show, we always have a rating system for each individual movie. What is our rating system going to be for this film? Um... This is a tough one. Um, is it going to be attack dogs? No. <laughs> That's just wrong. It could be uh, the blowfish, the deadly poisonous blowfish. <laughs> Water bottles. <laughs> Water bottles. <laughs> God, that scene's amazing. Backwash bottle. <laughs> no, let's see. Ring fingers. Tickets. Oh, the ticket. There you go. The ticket, the cross, the ticket. Ooh, Tickets. man, what a scene. That's a good one. It's a great it was one. right there the whole time. Diana, let's start with you. How many tickets are you going to give this movie? I'm giving it four tickets out of five, which I believe is my lowest rating. I don't remember what I rated the other ones. I think you gave John Wick four, but you were also like still not. But then when we watched it. two, I was like, I want to take that back and give it a five. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I will allow you to retract. Like, uh, John Wick one yeah. should be a five. Yeah. John Wick one you should be a five. Rules. 
Yeah. John Wick 2, I'm also very comfortable being at a five. Like, like I'm like I get to retract this, even though this is all going in the same episode. This one is a four for me. Okay. Only because I feel like there's too much going on story-wise. I love everything, but it's too much. And this movie doesn't stand on its own. The other two can. This one can't. That's my problem mm-hmm. with it. Especially the ending. I really have a problem with the ending. I hate it. I hate the ending. <laughs> Andrew, how many tickets are you going to give this film? I'm going to give this four tickets as well. It's four <gasps> tickets for me. Here's, here's, here's what I'll say. John Wick, full stop, no chapters, no colons, no M dashes, anything like that. It is a perfect movie. Facts. It is currently my number one Keanu Reeves movie for good reason. You've discussed it. Yeah. You know, we have discussed it at great length. <laughs> Facts. And very enthusiastically. <laughs> this is an interesting, this movie is the turning point, really, truly, for the franchise. Of sure. Where, like I said, where are they going to go next, right? Where John Wick was the stripped down to the bones version of an action film this by the third one we have added all of it back in and then some but the foundation is solid right Mm -hmm. so a lot of this worked for me i get giddy when i think about the knife fight or the dogs or any of that Mm -hmm. shit but ultimately it it does not quite hit the the same levels as the first one for me so the first one's a five then this one just by very virtue has to be a four fair i agree with both of you it's a four Cool. It's a really solid movie. And like initially there there is this feeling of like, it just doesn't feel right. But that's because you're comparing it to the other two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then when you're able to get past that, uh, it really helped watching it another time mm-hmm. and like going, okay, now I feel more comfortable with it. And I'm like, no, this is a good movie, but there's some stuff they're doing that just doesn't work quite right. Mm-hmm. And it is an integral part of the series, which is why it gets rated so high. Mm-hmm. But it is still very much part of the series and not its own thing on its mm-hmm. own. So yeah, four for yeah. me, which is still an great. excellent rating. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's hard to argue. I'm still going to watch them a bajillion times. <laughs> <laughs> One bajillion times. So many times. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for capping us off on this epic series. Oh, so happy that you both made the journey. It's great to have you here. I'm excited for you to move into four and five and beyond with all of us. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> yes. We're so excited we get to continue this journey in the present with, with y'all. <laughs> yeah. And if people wanted to find more Andrew, where could they find you on the interwebs? Oh, my gosh. I host a podcast, not unlike this one, but with a singular focus. You know how like John Wick has a singular focus? Yes. That's what we have. On Keanu Reeves. It's called Cool Breeze Over the Mountains, coolbreezepod.com. We are actually coming to the end. We have six films left this year. It's crazy. Uh, and then we will take a short hiatus and then move on to our next actor. Recommended by y'all, which is crazy. <laughs> yeah. We're doing Kurt Russell now. Yay! Um, it was so crazy. That podcast is is awesome. That's going to be called The Kurt Locker. So, oh, my uh, God. I'm so happy. <laughs> That's so good. That is precious. So that's what we're going to be doing there. That's going to be all of your favorites. Whitney will be back. Eric will be back. Dan will be a more front and center starring role there. So that's great. So yes, subscribe to Cool Breeze Pod. Obviously, we have a huge back catalog of Keanu stuff. We have a couple other surprises in store. Some pretty big guests coming up, which I'm very excited about. And then the only other thing I'll plug, and I plugged this earlier on Cool Breeze Pod, but I worked on a movie that is now out 
and it's available on demand. Uh, it is called The Honeymoon Phase. It is an indie horror film. I did the drone operation for that movie, for what it's worth, uh, and a couple other consulting type things. So if you are into like low budget indie horror, a little bit of camp, check out The Honeymoon Phase. It might might tickle your fancy. It's worth a watch. That's so cool. Yeah, not too bad. That's not awesome. bad at all. Yay. That's so cool. Yeah. All right, well, until next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Thank you.